Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are really excited um, to have in the studio two uh, artists who are uh, performing um, this year in the autumn program for the San Francisco International Arts Festival. We have uh, uh, Michelle Jacques, um, Jacques and we have Jacques. Yes, <laughs> and and we have Enkisi, and I keep on pronouncing your name wrong. Yeah, Enkisi, Yes, and uh-huh. remember, last uh, well, neither one of them are, are um, strangers to our airways. It's been a minute since uh, mm-hmm. Michelle uh, joined us, but um, uh, Enkisi uh, was with us last year when. Uh, the International San Francisco International Arts Festival was suing the city, uh, <laughs> and they won. Yeah. So that was really exciting. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, I played that interview last last week. So now um, they're joining us to tell us about this year, uh, this year's program and what they have planned. And if you want to find out all about it, because it's going to be in person and online programming, just like last year, and it kicks off tonight. Um, October twentieth, six thirty online, and uh, and then um, the week this weekend is going to be the uh, in person program. So um, Michelle has to jump off because she is teaching this morning, and uh, and then Andrew Woods hopefully will be able to join us uh, if he sees that email I sent him just now. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I too, so. <laughs> okay, cool. So, Michelle, go ahead and start. Um, you my New Orleans home sister, and right. uh, you could talk maybe about how family is because, wow, Ida really left an impact. All these trees felled and roofs off and no electricity. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, my family was blessed. They didn't have to deal with a lot of that where they're located. And when mm-hmm. they knew that the hurricane was coming, families all doubled up moved in together and stuck it out. Um, mm-hmm. They were afraid, of course, because they thought it was going to be like Katrina for a minute, but they're all doing really, really great. So um, we're really That's blessed. Great. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. So How's your family? When, when are you... <laughs> oh, um, they're good. They they left. <laughs> and yeah, there one you of go. my cousins, he, he was in a hotel um but he was his he and his family were safe there and then they left and went back home. Um uh yeah, people my, my cousin in Slidell, they had a they had a, a generator and they sent my auntie who was in her eighties to stay with um her son who wasn't right there in the immediate vicinity. So yeah, everyone everyone is doing fine and the electricity is back on where they are and Slidell came back on I guess about a week or so later. Mm-hmm. Um so um, they're doing good. And then other friends, they, they had resources, so they were able to get generators. And people, neighbors were helping neighbors and at the job where my sister, sister my cousin was working. Um, they let people um, use the electricity, take showers, cook their food. So, um, so that was really good. Um, yeah, but things are, are taking a minute to get back to normal. 
yeah, you know, what whatever sort of normal like, is right whatever now. normal looks like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is hurricane season, so I mean, this was Ida was not the first or the last. No, it isn't. Um, right, there are more coming. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, I think this might be Andrew. Andrew, is that you? Yep. Okay, cool. So, um, uh, Michelle's going to have to leave, but Andrew, do you want to like um, tell us about the uh, the International Arts Festival, San Francisco International Arts Festival this this particular year? And um, yeah. yes, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you you have the scoop, Wanda. Um, this is the this is the breaking news: is that we have moved indoors. So the outdoor mm. festival that was going to be at Fort Mason is now going to be indoors at Fort Mason at Abada Capoeira's studios on Mission Street and at Brady Street Dance Center. So we have three different venues that are all indoors, but they're not all at Fort Mason. And um, so that's the thing is that it's, it's spread out, but we just we, when we saw the inevitability of rain, we knew that we would have to move everything indoors, otherwise we'd be canceled. So mm-hmm. that's what we've been doing this week is just securing venues and rearranging all the artists to be in those venues instead. And the good mm-hmm. news is, is that nearly all of the artists have got exactly the same time of performance oh. as they had previously. It's mm-hmm. just that uh, they might be in a different part of town. But uh, we'll, be, we'll be sending out um, emails to anybody who's bought tickets saying this is where your show is going to be and our website will be changed today to mm-hmm. reflect the new venues and that's the interesting thing about not having paper anymore is that you when you make a change as drastic as this you can update your website and everything is current so uh we're quite pleased about that obviously it's, it's been a lot more work than we we had we had anticipated but uh the show will go on as they say <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, this is yeah. why we love andrew we didn't know all that was going on in the background there (laughs) right so and so shell and friends will now be performing at brady street at 6 p.m on sunday and they're still the closing act and the closing concert but uh, they're an hour later than we had previously advertised so if you have shell tickets you'll be getting an email from us saying that the show is now an hour later but going on at brady street which is um and quite an exciting development because Brady Street hasn't been used for performances in 20 years. And so these oh, are wow. the first performances. Yep. Remember when Brady Street Dance Center used to be, you know, up and yes. kicking around in the, the, end of the, 19, the end of the 20th century, beginning of this century. And then um, they've, they, they, they were converted into, uh, into offices, and now they're being converted back to a performance space. And our show on Saturday at 1 o'clock will be the first one there in 20 years. It's not finished yet, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but they've got the dance floor down, so that's the most important thing. And we've got we've, we've got the dance floor down, and we've got electricity, so we'll all be good. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! And where where yeah. is uh, Nkechi going to be um, going to be performing? Nkechi yeah, well, is going perfor- to. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you're on the line as well. Sorry, Nkechi, I didn't realize. Yeah. yeah. I'll be performing at the yeah, I'll be performing at the Young Performers Theater in Fort Mason, second uh, to Marina Boulevard. So um, that's the building I'll be in. Uh, it's uh, quite a nice uh, space. Um, they actually, Stephanie who runs it, she does uh, children's theater. And so 
it's really cute to see some of the really small seats in there, but they do have adult size seats. And um, yeah, there's a lot of space, and uh, so people can kind of sit as, as comfortably close or apart as they as they would like. And um, uh, the 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 main show is going to be Friday at eight o'clock. So we're I'm super excited about that. Yeah, nice, and Geechee's nice. one of the shows that we could actually keep at Fort Mason, which we're very pleased mm-hmm. about. And there's 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 still going to be eight performances at Fort at Fort Mason in the Young Performers Theatre, and the first one is in Geechee, as you said, at eight mm-hmm. o'clock on Friday. So right. we're excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and is uh, uh, can maybe um, uh, Michelle? How many more minutes do you have? Like, do you need to start talking now? <laughs> Um, any, I, I'm, I'm still good. I'm still good. My, still my good. children won't start eating each other for a while. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> I cool. Uh, so, <laughs> so Andrew, can you tell us about um, uh, some of the uh, performances, uh, the online? Like it starts tonight, um, I believe. It starts. I thought tonight, it started on the and, um, uh, oh. online tonight. The first performance is Samudra Dance Creations. Um, okay. They have a short, a short uh, ten minute. Bharatanatyam dance piece, and then mm-hmm. it's going to be the um, the U.S. premiere of uh, a company from Hong Kong called Cinematic Theatre, and they have a piece mm-hmm. titled The White Shadow, and um, they were Cinematic was supposed to be here live with us, but we've um, obviously there has been difficulties getting visas, so they've they've sent us over their show, um, which is about three different generations of women in Hong Kong and workers in Hong Kong and exploitation of women in Hong Kong, and um, mm-hmm. And the, and the, the lessons that all that history tells us. So there's a there's a, 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 a woman that worked in a garment factory. There was a Thai sex worker, and there's a young woman that um, fought against the Japanese during the occupation during the Second World War. And they all and then they're all ghosts. And so the idea is that the ghosts are retelling their stories about the history of Hong Kong and one one specific part of Hong Kong. So that's that's tonight. And then we also have. Um, uh, but we have Bib is a Bib Chanel Bibin is talking about a piece that he'll have in the festival next year on Saturday night online, and uh, he's um, he has a piece titled uh, Religion Kitendi, which is about the Sapurs of Congo, and the Sapurs are people who just dress up outrageously well, no matter how poor they are. They, if, if there's a major crisis, then the, the first thing they do is reach into their wardrobe and, and put on something great. Because they just they just feel that that they need to be able to, be able to make a statement about who mm-hmm. they are and what they are able to to keep and it's and it's it sometimes seems oh that seems very frivolous but when you see it in the context of what was happening in the Congo and how that and that came about and then as what Bibi is doing he's looking at African descendant populations and the African diaspora across the Americas and across Africa and seeing how the um, the fashion um, choices or the fashion movements in in black populations are all kind of connected to this as well, in one way or another. And uh, he's just going to be talking about it and showing films on Saturday. But that's a piece that's going to premiere next year. Then um, mm-hmm. Beatrice Thomas is performing on Friday. Uh, mm-hmm. She has a Black Benatar's Black Cabaret, and that's going to be a, that's an online piece that uh, she talks about. She talks about equality and she talks about race relations going forward and and about um, how white and black populations can work and live together and and she also talks about reparations and how those things will 
will manifest themselves, and those issues will, will become will be coming forth. So that's a very that's a very powerful piece as well. And we have um, we have about ten different performances online, and they're all on our mm-hmm. website. And it was being curated by Nola Mariano from Circuit Network, so we're indebted to her for doing that. So uh, yeah, I'm really interested in in your uh, crawfish we invisible and Daisy's piece. Um, that uh, crawfish we in, we the invisible is is also on Friday, um, and then Friday, you also yeah. have yeah yeah that looks really interesting. Um, who is um, who is crawfish we invisible? Who is the uh, he is the uh, there's a there's a performance company called um, the uh, the the universes, and this gentleman is is one of those. Is one of those artists who formed the universes, and they've been doing performance oh, art. Oh, really? I know the yeah, universes. Around. Yeah, oh. so, so Stephen and most people know Stephen and Nancy, but uh, yeah, yeah, but um, uh, Gamal is one of those is one of the original members of that as well. So his piece is going to mm. be on Friday at seven o'clock in the evening, and um, oh, okay, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Yeah, he's a, and yeah, he's a, it's only one performance, and seven o'clock mm-hmm. on Friday, and that's followed by Daisy is that night as well, and that's um, that's an African American take on the Bush president, on the Bush, on the Trump presidency, and on the elections, and there's this mm-hmm. very, uh, so forthright opinions expressed about <laughs> the Trump presidency, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and as he, he spent a long time, he's, he made that film doing interviews with you know dozens. Of of actors, um, different performance artists, choreographers, uh, people in the arts industry who are African American or African, and um, and the and the film, the 45th, is just their take on 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 what was happening to the United States and what the African American community reaction was to it and what could be an alternative to it. So it's actually a fascinating film, and it was actually meant to be a film. And some of the things we have are that were were performance, you know, live performances that have been adapted for online, but this was actually created to be a film in the first place. So we're very pleased to have mm-hmm. that. Ah, cool, yeah. cool. And and people can find out about everything by going to sfiaf.org. Yeah, that is correct. Mm-hmm. And the the online program is absolutely current. Some of the in-person performances, we will be updating the venues later today. So everything still says Fort Mason at the moment. And some things like in Keechee's show are what you see in Keechee at 8 o'clock at the Young Performers Theatre on Friday. That's that's still current and true. But some of the other venues for some of the other artists, including Michel Jacques, will um, now be at a different venue um, at Brady Street at 6 o'clock rather than Fort Mason at 5. So so just we'll have it all we'll have it all updated by the end of the day today. Right. Yeah. So we have so Andrew getting along to all the spots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Andrew, do you need to go and start doing all this, or do you have? I a do. Yes. More? That's my next thing is to start. Okay. Um, <laughs> but okay. uh, thank you very all much right. for letting me be on the air, and have a great day, everybody. Thank you. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. You too. So, so Michelle, tell us about Shell yes. and Friends New Orleans Big Band and, and what you're going to be doing oh, on Sunday, October 24th really at 6. I am super, 
super excited because I'm combining both of my ensembles, Shell and Friends mm-hmm. and Shell's Juke Joint. So the band will be uh, my acapella quintet, which includes Tammy Brown, Jam and Jay Lamont, Brian Dyer, Rhonda Crane, and myself. And then I have my, my band, Donna Viscuso, who's my um, woodwind player. We have Eric Swinderman on guitar. We have uh, Michelle Gerlitz on drums. We have Kev, um, Kev Scott on bass. And, oh, man, we're going to be jamming. That's why I'm glad we have a dance floor because there's no way you can sit down when we get started. I'm very excited about that. And we're exploring not only – we're going to do some of our regular stuff, but uh, I'm going to introduce a song called Salonga Do, which I was doing at one point, which is a Creole um, – they call it a Creole slave song. They've called it uh, um, Cajun lullaby. But actually it is in Kuri Vini, which is Louisiana Creole, which is what I'm studying now. I'm really excited about that. And I will be singing it in Kuri Vini. And a lot of dance music and fun. So that's what's happening with the band. Right, yeah. And and isn't this like a preview of a project that you're working on? Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, tell us about Daughters it. of the Delta. Daughters of the Delta. You were with me when I did my last project. Um, it's a, a manifestation, you know, um, my love of the folklore of our home, Louisiana. And so I wanted to talk about the women who made the contributions to the music of New Orleans and and the United States and jazz, blues, spirituals, the whole nine yards were never spoken about. Um, just this past week I did a I teach at Oakland School of the Arts and I did a, I do a class called um, All That Jazz, which is jazz and hip hop. And I showed them a, a video on the history of jazz, and not once did they mention a woman. And I talked about it with my students. Did you notice that? Not one woman was mentioned. And so I've been on this journey to really, really investigate the role of women and what we did to create the music of the Americas. Like I said, from jazz to spirituals to gospel, um, even down to uh, Charmaine Neville and um, our Mardi Gras music that's never really mm-hmm. mentioned like, like the brothers are. So that's what we're going to be doing. And, I'm re- and also the great migration. We're going to really talk about the, the great migration. A lot of people think the, the great migration was only to the north. But my family, as well as a lot of other families, probably yours included, all came to California, L.A., you know, Oakland, places like that, Fresno, because it was easier to survive here than it was in Louisiana. So we're going to weave in the great migration, the history of women through the history of women in music, and it's going to define the period from the 19th to the 20th century. And, ooh, I can't wait to just show this. We're going to be doing it in schools. We're going to be doing live concerts. We're going to be sharing this all over. So that's it. Despite what they're trying to do uh. Keep us from teaching our history in schools. We're going to do it anyway. Wow, that's going to be really exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and then um, hopefully there'll be a recording too. Oh yeah, we're going in the studio very soon. We're going to start recording the the, the regular concert, and then we're going to record a children's CD, mm-hmm. not CD anymore, but a children's um, project also. 
Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, mm-hmm. we're not going to keep you. Um, do you have a Thank website? Thank you. Yes, www.shell, C-H-E-L-L-E, in friends, in as a Nancy, friends.com. <laughs> it was okay, and, awesome. but we changed it to in. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Wow. Well, um, really looking forward to uh, to hearing, um, you know, some of your music. It's just always so yeah. high level and just so just sort of lifts your spirits. And you're going to be at, you're closing the festival at uh, the Brady Street Theater, um, opening for business, the first time in 20 years, 6 p.m., Shell and mm. Friends. And uh, you can check the website later on to get all of the details, or you can just look it up, Brady Street, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> so you don't miss it. Wow. That's I'll right. Wear your dancing to you, shoes Michelle. You Thank you so much for yeah, joining us. I love us. you, girl. All right. <laughs> Let's take you it easy. <laughs> you Bye-bye, too. both of you ladies. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I was so happy mm-hmm. to see um that you were joining us again, uh, in K in K G. Um am I saying you right or am I messing it up still? Yeah, that was right on, Wanda. That's right on. Oh. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. three is a charm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you're you got this this intriguing title, the pol- politics, the language oh, of my. color and all her children. Exactly. Yeah, oh God. Friday at yeah, eight well, o'clock. And Saturday Friday at 8 o'clock at Fort Mason, so definitely want to get your tickets in advance. Um, yeah, I've just been having a lot of fun. Um, my last show of a similar type was called License to Drive While Black, and uh, that mm-hmm. was kind of um, my journey, discovering what it means to be black in America and also using it as a teaching moment um, to walk people through, kind of uh, catch us up into, you know, where we were historically um, from a from an experiential standpoint, you know, it's one thing to say that laws and things are certain way, but I was expressing, you know, how I discovered what they were in practice, and uh, and that that show was with me up until about I would say, you know, through um, the George Floyd and all the protests, and I I felt kind of that it was time to set it down because it it felt like um, people were now way more aware of the things that I was becoming even more aware of as I worked on that show, so. Here we are now, Politics, the Language of Color, and All Her Children. Um, I, I do believe my titles get given to me before I know what they're going to be about. So that was the mm-hmm. title that latched on. And um, I'd really, uh, you know, I would say at the core of my artwork is trying to bring people together in community and, uh, and to really have fun. And I love to bring people into a room and have them basically face big conversations or big topics that they may not be able to do well at the Thanksgiving table. And I do it playfully. And so while it's not really about politics, it's more about um, uh, about any one particular politics, but it's a, just about the nature of politics and how it lands on people, on communities, on families. And and, and I'm, I'm hoping to deconstruct that. You know, we all want to be free and our mindsets and our um, perspectives can keep us in bondage, whether we're actually in bondage or not. And so it's a, to me, it's a, um, it's, it is, there's going to be dance, there's music, there's some projection. It's, it's kind of a celebration of my journey of just becoming um, 
undone in the best way of becoming free of indoctrination and becoming free to kind of believe that there's a way. Um, similar to what you know Martin Luther King says where he says, I have a dream. It's not a pie in the sky dream. It's not like, oh, we must all sing the same songs or all agree. But we can be in community with different of opinions. And I strongly believe that. And so, um, you know, it's, it's somewhat abstract, the, 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 the piece itself. And, um, and I have lots of audience participation. That's actually my most exciting part. And, uh, and you guys get to journey with me as we um, learn about politics and how they've been applied to populations of people. And um, and so it's futuristic, so it's a little bit of the pressure's off. You can think about it's a more a little bit of a sci-fi feel, but but we're going to have some interactive games um, and um, experiences that will enable us to really challenge, you know, some of the ideologies that we have taken on and assumed were the best for us. And so hopefully, when we come out of it, uh, there will be have been a cleansing. <laughs> Nice. Of, I like of, that. Um, wow. Yes, yes, of, of the bondage. Because it, sometimes it's really small things. It, it, we're, it's surprising how susceptible we all are. And so that's part of my, my art is to kind of playfully address, but head on, big topics. And I've just found a lot of um, just joy and celebration and unity when, you know, I dive into my own experience and someone who is completely different than me comes up and says, gosh, my family went through the same thing, or I experienced the same thing, but I, I would never have thought I did until you showed me. And so in my previous piece, um, you know, like I said, it's, we're, we're so aware now of the inequality and of the 13th Amendment and all the things that do not make uh, a black living in America the same as others. But now that there's so much awareness, it's so cool, um, we're, and we're, I'm kind of ready to go to the next level, which is like the indoctrination, you know, <laughs> which, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we're in America and we, we think we, we are, we're free, you know, we're not this, we're not that only to find ourselves kind of in the same position as things that we thought we would never. So, um, I don't want to give too much away cause I want to, want you leave it. I want you to uh, leave wanting more, but I would just say, come, if you can make it, uh, just get there. Get in the room with us, and I learn from you too. So um, you being there becomes an absolute part of what you will experience and what I'll experience. And so I would just say get there. If you, especially if, it, if you haven't been out to a show for a while, um, I recently was in New York and got to be in the room with some people, and I just I wept I, just to be in the room with, with live performers. I just wept. I was, I was so moved by the art mm. form and the gift that we are to others. And, um, you know, and so we've, we've all been on away from that. And that was one of the reasons why it was so important to rally on behalf of the arts last year when things are being kind of shut down haphazardly. And, um, and so now I just feel a lot of liberation, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy going into it and looking forward to kind of this new form of storytelling that I think has been emerging for the past few years, um, you know, I am a, I'm an artist, a, just a regular one, actor, singer, songwriter, dancer. But this uh, modality of storytelling has been really invigorating. And, um, um, yeah, there will be lots of audience participation. That's, that's the part I'm, I'm really excited about. So we're going to learn <laughs> a little bit about history. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we're going to have yeah. fun. And then we're going to celebrate and uh, celebrate our freedoms, truly celebrate them. 
So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what that's what that's going to be about. Yeah, I remember um, last year um, I joined you um, via um, the internet. Um, you know, someone okay. had, they had a camera, and so I saw you walking around, engaging people sitting in their um, uh, in their pods. You know, with their yeah. family groups and friend groups, and yeah, and I think it was windy, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was really, really great watching you circulate. <laughs> you know, doing yeah. your thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had we had to figure out some things quick because when you designed a show to be indoors and you're suddenly outdoors, <laughs> uh, and your own your your own prop department, we we got really creative really fast. So, um, but that was really fun. That was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, I just want you to talk a little bit before you go about um, you know being a diaspora woman. Um, you know, you're. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you were born in Africa or born here, but uh, your roots uh, are on the continent uh, in Nigeria, I believe. And yeah. so if you could talk about your people and the whole, the whole notion of freedom, you know, as a person of African descent, um, you know, water yeah. is a motif, um, and we think about um, freedom. <laughs> um, I'm always thinking about freedom, always. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. And 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 bondage <laughs> you know and it's, yeah it's, uh, yeah yeah and well and well, also I, you know, you know happiness and things like that too but yeah it's a big thing for people of African because so much has been taken from us um mm-hmm. and continues to be taken from us mm-hmm. yeah yeah I would just say you know I was born in the states but raised in Nigeria the a gift of my parents you know I, you know again they were dealing with what they were dealing with in their own lives and it ended up being a, a gift because you know I was raised in a country where there were millions of people that looked like me in every walk of life mm-hmm. um and the limitations it was just like everything else and we were dreamers I mean my culture the Igbo culture in particular where I would say we're kind of industrious but everybody is probably an inventor. They have like five things that they're working on at any given time. And um, so you can imagine when the politics of the day is limiting the expression of that, or even, you know, relations between the U.S. and Nigeria limit people coming here to further their education. Um, and it's specifically done, I believe, because you have, you're talking about people who are pretty bright, pretty who could, you know, make some significant changes. And so it's not I don't. I don't think it's done ha- as haphazardly. Um, and so, like I said, uh, coming back to the states as a teenager, and really um, being in shock at how backwards we were, because you know we had. I had learned everything as though it was a, as history. I had learned about our civil rights as though it was history, as, a, as something of the past. And so, and so to come to the states and see how it was. Uh, still still there, but not in as full view. But one of the things that we talk about, which I really love about hearing about Michelle, and is that song and dance has always been a way of liberation. Song and dance. Um, it's when you're liberating your spirit, you are no longer, you're no longer able to be bound. And that's what our early ancestors, um, who were the slaves, were, were, how they were able to be liberated before actual liberation. And that's something that can never be taken from someone. And so uh, that um, that ability to have liberty in a constrained situation is something that I think our people do really, really well. We've tolerated a lot in the United States, a lot of, of limitations. 
and yet we are leading <laughs> in terms of creative output, musically, um, lots of ways, and uh, fashion in certain in terms of it. it you know, it, I'm not talking about corporate numbers, but I'm talking about the ingenuity. You know, the the, the the fashions that the kids can, you know, they can literally come up with something new and it's a new thing and then come up with something else and then that's a new thing. And so I really mm-hmm. see that, that I see the beauty there. And so, you know, as people, and I do think this is coming, as people kind of get tired of the powers that be, <laughs> as they become kind of a little like tired of the powers that be, that, um, you know, choosing uh, of liberation, whether it's cleaner eating, you know, whether it's exercise, things that are going to give your body liberation um, so that you're not as indoctrinatable. And I'm saying this, and I say this, and I don't mean to sound so um, intense about it, but, um, you know, our thoughts govern our lives. And so if we can keep our thoughts in, or tend to them and not let them just be inundated with the news feeds of the day, then we might have a little bit more say. And, of course, I believe in a God uh, who loves me, Jesus. You need to have a power greater than yourself moving through your lives. Most spiritual people do, so that's good. Um, but we don't have to also be clustered away. So how do we, how do spiritual people, people with some kind of philosophical or live in the tension of um, the, uh, I don't know, I'd say, I would just call it the indoctrinations of the day, and I think it's a personal journey. I do think that art helps heal us of that and helps liberate us, liberate our, our soul. And um, and so, you know, I hope to offer that here. But, I mean, obviously we have a whole festival of that. It's just to immerse yourself in art and, and see how you think and see how you feel a little differently. And then take a little action in your life um, to move towards that new thing that you've discovered. But I think we're well on our way, actually. I think the tide and the big ship has turned so much more and it's going in the right direction and I'm super excited about what is coming. And lastly, I'll just say that one thing I have noticed is that um, in all the art spaces that I was involved in before, but even moving forward, people want to hear diverse voices now, like legitimately. They, they know that to get to where we need to go, we need a diversity of voices. And that's across gender, race, age. Um, you know, we just can't have a couple people determining everything so um uh yeah yeah i'm clearly jazzed i wasn't as jazzed when i got on this call but man <laughs> i got going here so um uh, yeah uh, part of my good. research was going to ellis <laughs> I, I went to ellis island part of my research and um and oh. just kind of sitting sitting with the the stories of of people when they came over and how what it, what it meant to come to America and what they were leaving behind and what their hope was to arrive and have kind of their ethnicity, you know, not necessarily tended to. And, and you know, the things they lost, so many. So yes. I, I want us to be in a reclaiming season um, for blacks in America, um, Asians, Hispanics, um, all walks of life, just to be reclaiming because um, um, because America is a, it's a beautiful country. It's a country. It's land. It's land. It's great things to see. So, mm-hmm. you know, tying back to my show, this idea of politics, how, how is politics running our lives when there's so much nature and beauty to see? So many resources. How does that happen? How does, how does a politic run an entire country? 
So this is these are just interesting things. I think we have to start um, having having a, a, a philosophy that we mm-hmm. want to live by that again does not interrupt, you know, the powers that be, but that allows us to be liberated people in it. And when you're liberated, you are free, and you're happy, and you can dress up like uh, Andrew was saying about the one. You can dress up in, in times that are not so great. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited. Oh, man, I'm just excited to be back in the art space, man. We need each other so badly. <laughs> we need each yeah. other. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, thank mm-hmm. you so much for thinking of me, Wanda. Thank you so much. I feel so blessed. I remember being at your um, studio years and years ago doing something. I was doing something else. I was in, more in a music mode then. But but now I'm kind of in this <laughs> performance art space. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. 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 And, mm-hmm. um I wanted you to give give audiences um, your website, and um, so they can yeah. you know, know where you're going to be for the rest of you know uh, 2021 yeah. and into 2022 because you're busy, yes. busy. Yes, yes. So my website very easy www.nkchi and that's spelled N like Nancy K E C H I dot com nkchi um, dot com, and I'll be making some updates. You can also go to the for this show, the um, SFIAF, standing for San Francisco International Arts Festival dot org uh, website to to kind of locate me. Um, I'm also receiving donations. I, I really have some ideas of some, of what I want to do with this project. So feel free to liberally donate to this artist as she builds this next phase of her development. And um, yeah. Um, we'll keep you posted, and I'll hound Honda, hound Wanda, uh, to get the word out on something <laughs> next, whenever whenever that emerges. But our, but right now, I'm just thinking liberty and freedom for all, and what that truly means um, societally, but more from a liberation of mind, heart, and soul. So, yay! Wonderful. Wait, yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, and you know, um, and art is is certainly. Um, uh, the kind of of gives us the kind of tools we need to be able mm. to 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 um i guess uh to be free stay mm-hmm. free and and be able to um um i guess uh have a way of expressing you know our freedom in a in a beautiful way even yeah. when even when our freedom is being um challenged <laughs> yeah. we can still express yeah. our resistance in a beautiful way so art, exactly. you know, singing, you know, telling stories, uh, mm-hmm. dressing up, um, you know, putting on different persona, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. imagination is just so important. And, and it's really great, you know, that you're going to be able to, you know, this this is a program for, for families and children. So yeah. uh, it's going to be really special because, you know, um, we, we definitely need to make, keep, make sure we keep our children encouraged. And I don't know what they're going to think about this when they come back, you know, like when they're grown and they think about this time. This time is like it's one of those times where it's marking us. It is. And they're also how do we. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I I definitely um, that that resistance. Yes. I just want to make sure I I just lay claim to that word. you know, um, and it's a part of us about uh, the African diaspora. It's just something that we've 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 inherited, and so um, we get to wow, make art through it. We get to celebrate through it, and we get to teach each other how to 
live through it. So, um, yes, again, families, all ages, and I'm, I'm serious about all ages because I'm really enjoying, uh, you know, the one-liners I get from kids where I think, whoa, that was wise. <laughs> and how they, experience, yeah. how they experience things or they just go, that's silly. Why, why would you even think about that? Good question. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're thinking yeah. from a, a, a different perspective. Yeah, and to just um, lighten up. That's kind of the other theme of it is you have this big topic, and I just want to, like, wake us up and lighten us up. That's the other part. Mm-hmm. Is, um, and we do it together, and I think that's the thing. You know, all of us are carrying different pieces, but when we come together for the sake of um, whatever it is that we're going to talk about, we can digest it better and release it better. So I have a couple of things in there that will enable us to kind of leave all that crap at the door when we leave and uh, kind of reclaim the new. Um, So I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to share my art with, you know, whomever. And um, and I'm grateful that our Bay Area community is is kind of percolating and seeing all kinds of offerings coming back online, just creative things online. We now have access to online, which is just fabulous. Um, but then also some of the in-person representations. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. And I think, um, yeah, I think our mayor is doing a good job. I, I know that you guys also have some good things going on um, in your part of, the, part of the world, too. But I think there's some new things that are opening up that are, for artists, are going to be a real good thing, um, you know, after we went through some snafus. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, um, have a wonderful um, opening um uh, performance on uh, yeah Friday, but don't you have? Do you have a Saturday as well? Yeah, uh, do five a o'clock? Saturday. Okay. Yeah, that's maybe yeah. So so I would just say go to the site so that we can know exactly what times everything is. If it says sold out, <laughs> it's sold out. But if it doesn't say it's sold out, sold out. I mean, I'm open to doing yet another show. If I, I won't, I won't broadcast it too much. But if we get some momentum here, I, I want to really put this up again soon. So keep stay on the lookout for that. But um, mm-hmm. so yeah, go to the website. At least, at least you know, um, kind of start with that first one, which is Friday. This coming Friday at eight p.m. And uh, I definitely recommend getting there early because there's you know all kinds of check-ins and things required uh, for that. But um, otherwise, it just should be good times. Good times. Good times. Good times. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, congratulations again on on your Thank new you. uh, new show, and uh, I know it's going to be fabulous. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to you again about ah your creative work, you know, and your your uh-huh. creative process. Yeah, it's just really wonderful, um, you know, sort of hearing your voice this morning. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and and Michelle's and Andrews, I'm really happy that mm-hmm. the San Francisco International Arts Festival has been, you know, um, you know. Uh, through what do they call literally rain and rain or shine? Uh, it's shine. been going yeah. and going. I mean, it's like you oh, know, since it man. started, I don't think there's there's ever been a. It's it's continued. Um, yeah, you know, I gained such an appreciation for what he holds, man, for us. Woo! I'm telling you. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. So just every, every time you can think about him, send him some prayers, even send him a card, and just say thank you for. He mm-hmm. gets artists, you know, that's one thing I've noticed is that understanding the artists, and I would say this for all our organizations, find somebody on your team who really understands the toil that artists go through in birthing a project. You know, no matter how simple it is or how large it it um, it takes a piece of them to do that. Uh, so 
just to bless them. And that's my encouragement is just to be kind, be generous to artists. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. um, they're thought of, they're thought of the, at the end of everything else, you know, there'll be lights, they'll do every, the, the thing. And then it's like, oh yeah. And then there's the artist. So um, really um, my hope um, in the future is to also offer opportunities for artists to be able to do work, um, you know, along this same vein, because I'm, I'm starting to notice the theme in my work. So um, to be able to encourage other artists to step out in resistance through their art as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All righty. Cool. Well, you take good care, uh, Nkechi. Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, look forward to the next conversation. Sounds good. Thanks, Wanda. Thank you for doing what you do. You've been a mainstay, too, but we love you, too. We love you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. We love you as well. <laughs> okay, God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, I want to let you all know about some other um, performances, some other names that Andrew didn't mention um, because, you know, he had to um, dash. Um wanted to mention that uh, some of the other artists that look really interesting to me because I, I haven't heard them before, um, the festival debut uh, uh Features the all-women hip-hop crew Mixed Ingredients Dance Company, led by co-directors uh, Shinobi Jax and Samara Atkins. And then, um, I don't know how to pronounce the name, but Los Nadis, or The Nobodies, the politically inspired Latin street band inspired by Eduardo Galeano's celebrated poem. And then the Bay Area Body Percussion Ambassador Keith Terry with his music uh, quintet Free Dive are performing. Sandy Crestman with her Brazilian-inspired ensemble um, Humanagem, Humanagem, Brasili, Brasili, Lira. <laughs> I'm not saying that correctly. Um, and then there's a Gamalian folk fusion ensemble performing, and they're releasing their uh, two-year delayed album, uh, The Weaver. And, and then uh, veteran shadow master Larry Reed is going to perform, and then um, uh, a Balinese shadow play. And Abada Capoeira, um, which is one of the performance spaces now, indoor performance spaces, um, they're going to be uh, celebrate the birthday of the founding artistic director, Maestre uh, Zagara, um, uh, who is Marsha uh, Treadler. And there's going to be some new choreography by some folks, and um, it's just going to be simply phenomenal. So you don't want to miss anything, and um, the uh, uh, the box office is Area code four one five three nine 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 five five four, and again sfiaf dot org. Check back um, in a, maybe a couple of hours, and the indoor schedule should be posted. But just check back, get your tickets in advance. So it should be really exciting. And I want to remind people that this particular weekend um, is the celebration of the. The uh, Black Panther History Month, um, earlier this month we had BJ on to talk about um, uh, Black Panther History Month. And um, and so anyway, this is that weekend. And then we've got the uh, um, the Tribunal, uh, 
which is uh, the International Tribunal, uh, is um, is also this weekend, and uh, that is um, um, going to be at the Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz Memorial and Education Center um, in New York. However, it's also going to be live streamed at tribunal2021.com and on facebook.com, Spirit of Mandela. So uh, I'll um, I'll put this um, at wandaspicks.com. But Friday, it starts Friday at 6, 6 to 9 p.m. Um, Eastern Time, and the tribunal kicks off at 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Sunday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Monday, there's going to be a press conference at 12 noon Pacific Eastern Time. Everything is Eastern Time, even if I say Pacific Time by mistake. <laughs> um, and there's going to be a press conference, verdict delivered in front of the United Nations. That should be That's going to be heck of exciting. Um, and we um, um, we had an uh, interview um with uh, Brother Jaleel Muthakim, uh was it last month? This month, I'm trying to remember. And um, and so anyway, um, um, you can you can read that at the Bayview. So um, yeah, so I'm going to play a song, and we are so excited. We're going to be talking to uh, Michael Jean Sullivan about a uh, a. Uh, new play that he wrote that's going up at San Francisco Playhouse um, tonight is opening night. So it's real exciting. And, uh, yeah, so stay tuned. And, uh, oh, wait a second. I think that might be um, Daisy. Ah. (laughs) Good morning. Do you like hairy balls in your mouth? Howard Stern dickhead. Howard Stern dickhead. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that was uh, um, interesting. Um, that wasn't Daisy. Okay. So anyway, we're going to play Alice Coltrane. We're not going to be able to finish it, but we're going to play um, Alice Coltrane. Oh, that was an interesting comment. Ah, here we go.
So that was Alice Coltrane, and um, oh, so beautiful uh, after being um, podcast bombed. <laughs> it was kind of a terrible experience. Good morning, Michael Jean Sullivan. How are you? I'm doing well. Wanda, how are you doing? Oh, I am wonderful. Thank you so much for telling me about the Great Con, which is opening tonight at uh, San Francisco SF Playhouse. It's so good. I I never knew oh, as you. much as I know now about Genghis Khan. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> man. I mean, like, wow. <laughs> well, there's a what lot. a fascinating a concept. Lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted to show. You know, I wanted to find a character as much as basically as much as Black Americans are demonized. And who writes our history? Who writes our story? 
you know, who tells us that we're terrible and who tells the world that, that we're terrible and dangerous? And I thought, well, who else in history has been in such a position? And it was like, Genghis Khan. Most people think of him as this terrible, horrible character, but it's more complex than that, just like we are more complex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. It, it's so cool. And, um, you know, this little hero and 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 the girl that he saves. Why don't you, why don't you tell us, sort of set the context, you know, for for the story um, and in your cast. Oh, my goodness. People that are, you know, in the work are just like, I can, I can hardly wait to see them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, when I was uh, – there were two different things that came up when I was uh, – uh, basically when the pandemic hit, I had time on my hands to write. And this show had kind of been in my head for a few years. And mm-hmm. I hadn't started on writing last year's Mind Troop show yet. And I knew I had to do that, but I had like, you know, some time. And so I thought I wanted to write a story about, um, about black teenagers, a play about black teenagers and the struggle they have to just be teenagers. You know, I mean, the struggle to not, you know, by the time a black kid hits like 11, suddenly they're treated like a grown-up, you know. They're a danger to society. The, you know, the police see them one way. The other people see them another way. Everybody sees them as kind of like uh, finished, whether it's a black girl being uh, pre-sexualized by the community and by the media or, it's, uh, you know, a boy who's suddenly seen as a thug and dangerous and a criminal or getting ready to be criminal and both of them seen as just runaway young slaves, dangerous and out. Somebody's got to stop them. But what about, you know, they just want, they're, they're not done yet. They're not grown-ups. They're not children anymore, but they're just teenagers and they just should have the chance to be teenagers and, and the pressure of the society, the society puts on them to, by seeing them a certain way and also the pressure that they put on themselves to conform to these stereotypes, to, to just be like this because this is the way, like, the path is easiest to conform to the racist stereotype. And it's harder to fight against it, even within the community and outside. So I wanted to do a show about two black teenagers who just ultimately want to be teenagers. Uh, for a while, you know, and uh, so I had this show in my head, and then, like I said, I had this other thing about the stereotypes and where that comes from and the danger and how history is used. People write history and write sociology and all of these different things to kind of create these stereotypes, and so I was like, okay, so this is what I want to do. How do I want to introduce these characters? How can I introduce them in such a way that uh, they, uh, it's clear to the audience what's going on, how they see themselves. So without giving anything about the show away, but I can talk about the first scene. Um, the first thing we see is a, just a teenage boy asleep in his bedroom. And, you know, Jaden, who's just there, you know, he's asleep. Somebody breaks into his room middle of the night. Uh, he pops on the light. They pull a gun on him, and it turns out it's this girl named Antoinette, who in the show is named Ant. And he, Jaden, rescued her when she was being assaulted by a bunch of boys. Uh, she wasn't raped, but she was, it was like 
going to happen. And he rescued her, even though he's just this nerdy kid. They're both just nerds. Mm-hmm. But her thing is, is that she doesn't want to be identified as a victim. Because if she, once she's identified as a victim, she's like, I'm going to be victimized my whole life. I don't want anybody thinking they got to help me. I don't want anybody thinking that I needed help because then I'm just going to be like people are going to be chasing me and on me all the time. And, at the same, and so she's threatening him, saying, don't tell anybody that you saved me, rather than just like saying thank you. So she's acting super <laughs> tough, and he's just this nerdy kid. Yeah. And through the course of the show, it's like she has to figure out who she is in terms of she keeps saying, I don't want to be tough. And whereas on the other hand, he starts off nerdy, and he keeps going, i got to be tough, because he thinks the boys that tried to rape her because they got in trouble, they're going to be after him. And the weird thing is, it's a comedy. You know, it's, <laughs> the show is actually, I had to find a way. It's like I'm dealing with all of these super serious issues. So I have to mm-hmm. find a way to make sure that it stays light enough so the audience doesn't just kill themselves. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be good. <laughs> yeah, that's bad word of mouth. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's yeah. a co-production. The show is a co-production between San Francisco Playhouse and the San Francisco Mime Troupe. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's an interesting – the show lands in between the two because it's a, it's a serious, fairly realistic, you know, pl- indoor play that, uh, mm-hmm. that the Mind Troop doesn't normally do. But it's also um, a very openly political show, which is more – which is um, in a different style than a lot of theaters do except for the Mind Troop. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. fortunately – uh, for both companies, but uh, you know that SF Playhouse heard about the show and said they snapped it up right away. Said we want to do this show as our first show back <laughs> at the first show of our season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. So again, that's uh, the uh, the Great Con um, opens tonight, uh, seven o'clock, mm-hmm. and uh, you should go online because there are these um, different questions and things you need to say yes to in order to be have a seat in the house. So, um, yeah, because it's yeah. all COVID <laughs> safe. Everybody, everybody at the theater has to be vaccinated. The audience has to be vaccinated. Everybody has to have, uh, uh, you know, wear a mask. So it's very, they've done everything they can. SF Playhouse has done a really great job in, in protecting the audience and the artists. And they've also, I think they've, like, through the, throughout COVID, they they employed more actors than any other theater, I think, in like the United States, but but by coming up with these very rigid and strict rules to make sure that everybody was safe. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. That's really good because um, after not being in a theater for a long time, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, one yeah, one might feel a little nervous sitting next sitting in the theater. I mean, it's people will be distanced but um uh, mm-hmm. it says you know that there'll be one empty seat on both sides of each group you know um so that's nice that yeah. so yeah how how does a you know a theater operate uh under these conditions and and stay in business because um we saw a lot of companies going out of business uh mm-hmm. you know over the past 2 years so it's really great yeah. that us uh, Playhouse is still up and going and able to to produce, you know, work like yours, uh, the Great Con, which is really really good. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, you just have everything in there, um, and and there's and and I and at the beginning you say these these kids have to be nerds. If they're not nerds, then something's wrong, you know, with yeah. the, the casting and the way that is being directed. So how 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 do you, what do you think of the play um, now that it's I think up. I like it, you know. The audience is, we've had really good audience response. And, uh, um, like, we've had some, uh, you know, teachers that have come to um, to the previews, and they're like, I've got to bring all my students to see this show, you know, uh, especially black teachers who are like, mm-hmm. they, you know, they've got, they're like, these are my kids, you know. Mm-hmm. They need to see this show. And, uh, and also the people that come up to me, there's there are like different things in the show like tests and stuff that happen in class and, and some people are like oh I didn't know the answer to that and I should you know <laughs> at the same time you know they they're like one guy really grabbed me last night and he just wanted just to talk to me about how much he learned watching the show and mm-hmm. and I was like you know as a mind trooper I'm like that's what should happen. You want people to come out of the show energized, activated, revolutionary, smarter. You want all of that to happen so that they leave going, we've got to make things different, you know, and how much and, – and challenging themselves, you know, without putting it on them. You don't want the audience to feel bad about themselves, but you want them to go, huh, I, I, you know, I did take that for granted. I did just think this or that. And I wanted the characters to not be stereotypes. You know, the, the the black mother, the you know the the, the kids, the, the best friend, the school other school nerds, all of this, everybody the the Asian uh, young the Asian teenager, everybody's not what you expect. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm really hoping I, I want I know and, it, and it's difficult, especially as the population has shifted in San Francisco, but I really want, you know, a, a black audience. And an Asian audience, it's like to see the show together, you know, mm-hmm. to yeah. see it's like this is for for us. I mean, it's for everyone, but mm-hmm. um, to try to make sure because that's going to that, – that changes the tenor of the audience. It will change the show to a certain extent. Who Who's in the audience? Who feels like their story is being told? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and it's really interesting how you know you have these teenagers uh, reflecting on their parents. Um, you know, um, you know Jalen's situation is. I don't know if if you can share what what's happened with him and his mother um, and his father, and then and then you've got um, uh, you know his um, uh, his classmate that is in. Um, no, Gao Ming. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Gao yeah. Ming. Yeah, well, she's so funny. Oh my gosh, her dad yeah, works for the good. subway or something, and yeah, <laughs> with her webcam. It's like what? Station. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that was station. another thing where I wanted to, like I said, I wanted to, like, avoid stereotypes. So, like, yes, Jaden's father isn't there; he's not present, and that happens a lot in stories with black families. But normally, in the black family, if the father isn't there, he's in prison, or he was never right. there, and all these gritty mm-hmm. things. In this story. His father was deported because uh, uh, he's from the Central African Republic, and, his, uh, and he's related to some people who are revolutionaries. And so the gov- State Department calls him a terrorist, and they deport him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to show a different, a more complex reason, a non-stereotypical thing. 
And with Gao Ming, her parents, she's Asian American, and her parents were like punk rockers who, you know, who are very unstereotypical. They're very, you know, they're woo rowdy poets and revolutionaries who dance naked around the house. Um, because I know these people, you know, mm-hmm. you know, as, uh, I know Asian Americans who are like that, but their stories are never told. Mm-hmm. And Jaden's mother, who works at the post office, you know, she's a cool mom, you know, she's she's a she's a friend to her for, to her son. They're all of the things where people see certain characters a certain way. And and uh, uh, aunt, her mother works in computers, and her father's a plumber. They just have right. jobs. You know, mm-hmm. there are no gangsters in the play. There's no, uh, there's no villain, you know, mm-hmm. except for the, the systemic racism and injustice and prejudice and stereotypes. That's really it. Um, but, and it's how all these people are trying to make their lives make sense inside of a stereotypical situation. And that's where, you know, like with a lot of mind trip shows, that's where the comedy comes out is you see people trying to figure out how to do this. And Jaden's like trying to be a gangster rapper, you know. Yes, um, he really is. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, so, but it's all, like I said, it's all to a point of how to empower yourself to be yourself. And at the same time, you, you can have revolutionary goals. You can want to change things. But, you know, and we as grown-ups are always like, oh, well, it's up to the kids. You're the next generation. You change the world. And it's like we got to let them just be kids for a while. But if they do want to change the world, we have to really give them the power to do that, to know what a revolution is going to mean, what it's going to look like, and say, okay. So, so like I said, there's a, there's a lot going on in the show. And, you know, also this show, it's opening. This is the world premiere. And then it's going to – there's going to be another production of it at San Diego Repertory Theater in the spring. Oh. And then another production of it at a theater called Red Twist in Chicago. This is all part of something called the uh, uh, National New Play Network, and they're doing what's called a rolling oh, yeah. world premiere. Oh, I've so heard the, of the, the world premieres at different theaters. Right. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And then there's some other companies around the country who are interested, but I think everybody's waiting they want to wait for the first production to happen. But I've, mm-hmm. uh, I've already been talking to companies in the Northwest and in the Midwest. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. So oh, yeah, have, have you cast. had plays? Hmm? I was going to say, and this show has such a great cast. Um, yes, yes, you, know, you do. You do. Yes, yeah. you do. Leon uh, talk Jones about the cast. Point, please. <laughs> Yeah, Leon Jones, who's a, you know, a great young actor, and he's worked with Moran Shakes, and he was actually uh, one of the understudies for Black Odyssey. That's where I first met him when we were oh. working on that at, at Cal Shakes. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so he's been doing all this work. He like, just finished doing Hamlet, and now he's, got, he, he, you know, he's playing this part, which is really interesting to watch you know, somebody who's actually young. Leon's like 19, you know, mm-hmm. playing a teenager. Yeah. And uh, uh, Jamela Cross who plays Ant, she was in the Hieroglyph, um, mm-hmm. and they did that a few months ago, and a bunch yeah. of work around the Bay Area. We were super fortunate to get her. Uh, the casting process on this show was, for the most part, it was very difficult because these are they're tough roles to fill, and so we were really lucky to get the actors that we got. Um, and uh, 
Evelina Brown. Evelina, you know, as as yeah. um as Jaden's uh or Leon Jaden's um mother. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. And so for, for you know, for Mind Troop audience members, they will know uh Valina has been, you know, a long time Mind Troop member, but she's also worked with the Playhouse and at A C T and and we're conveniently married, which is always <laughs> and, um, and do you have a teenager? Yes, yes, we do. Um, our son is now eighteen, and so okay. he just you know he just started uh, college, and he is uh, and you know part of this show is definitely it. Like I was telling somebody, if we didn't have our son Zachary, I would have written a different show. Mm. But um, having a having a black teenager who is playing games all the time, you know, mm. and really it definitely, and that's a big part of the show in the second act. Um, is definitely uh, uh, was an influence. Let's say. Uh, uh, oh, so other people in the cast: um, Adam uh, Kuva Newman, who plays the teacher, was also that yeah, was he's a really great. That was a, he is, yeah, and that's a hard. That was a hard part to fill too, because there's there's a thing where not. I mean, there are other actors who definitely could have done the part, but Adam hit hit the edge of the the teacher. Because so many people, when I wrote the show and they read it, and they said, oh, and the teacher is such a – he's just this clown character. He's like the stupid white liberal. And I was like, no, he's not. He's not the stupid white liberal. He's a teacher. And actually what he says, for the most part, about history is correct. Mm-hmm. He's a passionate teacher. But he's also a nerd, and he also has blind spots that he doesn't see about himself. But he can't be written off. None of the characters are, like I said, none of them are exactly what you think they're going to be. Uh, and uh, oh, and Kina Cantor, who plays Gao Ming, mm-hmm. um, she's great. She's done uh, work at also at uh, uh, at the Playhouse. And when I, I did readings of this play last year uh, online, throughout the COVID thing, I was developing the show. And so we did readings for San Diego Rep. We did readings for the Playwright Foundation, who also helped develop the show. And, uh, and also just personal play readings with uh, the Actors Reading Collective, which is another local theater company that just works online. And through developing the play through all of those, Tina did all of those readings for me. Mm-hmm. And so I was really fortunate to find her originally. And then it was like, oh, and she's perfect for the part. So she was one of those people who, when we came around to casting, I was like, I want to have Kina because she's really good. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, Brian Rivera, who plays Temujin, who plays Genghis Khan. And <laughs> Brian is also a, a Mind Troop veteran. He's done Mind Troop shows, but he's huh. also done Broadway. He played the king in The King and I. Um, for the national tour and for some of the performances on Broadway. Uh, he's been at ACT and Berkeley Rep and Cal Shakes. He's been all over the place. And I, when I wrote this part, I really had Brian in mind. And he also did all of the readings for me before. So when it came around to casting, there were a few other actors who would have been wonderful, but I was like, Brian has invested in this part. He had to learn Mongolian. Oh, wow. So they're actually speaking the language. Yeah. There's sections where, as as Genghis Khan, he is speaking in Mongolian. I mean, hmm. the audience knows what he's saying. He, he, they, there's a way that they end up finding out. But um, but yeah, and he like he got a Mongolian tutor to teach him uh, how to speak and how to do the uh, 
do the, the, the dialect when he's speaking English. And so, yeah, and he's just, he, Brian, like I said, I, I had, was fortunate to go, when I was in New York the last time, I saw him in A King and I, not as the king, but as another big role. And, and I'd worked with him before, and I was like, oh, this guy's great. And so was, when I, as soon as I started writing it, I was like, it would be amazing if I could get Brian Rivera for the part. And I, <laughs> I did. Mhm. Nice, nice. Wow, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking um when I was reading the play, um you know that it's a uh, you know, it's a critique of of the school system and um you know, and this this child, you know, uh Jaden, you know, talking to Adam um you know, when he brings him in the office and tells him, "Well, you're not we know you're smart and well, how do you know this?" You know, like just sort yeah. of, you know, quest, you know, sort of like challenging the stereotype, um, you know, and 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 Jaden is, um, you know, he's, you know, he's being the caricature, you know, he's wearing the hood mm-hmm. where you can't see his face. I mean, he's playing to all of that, and just yeah. daring yeah. the institution to to see past that and to break it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and it's so funny. Um, I don't know if I could say it, you know, with regards to. Um, uh, what what Jaden tells you know his teacher well if if I do this report and and there's only one you know one one historic figure left <laughs> for him to yeah, right. you know, to work on you know Genghis Khan then if I do this you do this the whole idea is that it's not about um, you know learning about your people but it's about who won the war they tell the story yeah. And and so mm-hmm. it's like wow. So I spent all my time at this place, and it's not about my edification. It's about becoming more versed in the dominant narrative. Like mm-hmm. so, you know, how discouraging is that? And he knows the yeah. he knows the game. He's a real you know like it's 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 not hard to figure out. And he gives it back to him and says, "Well, sorry, <laughs> you know, if you want to get through here, you got to do it the way we tell you to do it." Because we are in the Middle Ages, and this is what we're studying yeah, in the Middle right. Ages. Like, well, what happened to the black people? <laughs> people right. of African descent. Like, are you saying that we didn't exist until this period? That's just such great writing. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> really yeah, well, it's one of those things that people kind of take and take for granted, you know, all through college and all through school and everything. Everything we're learning, they go, oh, well, this is American history. And it's like, okay, but you're not telling us about what was going on, basically, for people who weren't of European descent. There's all this other history that would be told in a different way. If you said, okay, we're going to do it from the point of view of Native Americans, all of American history would be very different if, that, if it was taught that way. How would it be taught if it was all from the, from the perspective of, of uh, Chinese immigrants? American history would look very different. How would it be if it was all from the perspective of enslaved and kidnapped black people? You know, so we're we're getting history, but we're getting it from a perspective. And when we to remember that, and like in the play, that when they say, "Okay, it's history of the Middle Ages," no, it's not. It's a history of Europe during this year and this year. But it wasn't the Middle Ages everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else, right. there was stuff going on. There were kingdoms and kings and queens and, and all of this stuff that was happening. But when we get 
when they label a class history of the Middle Ages, it's like they're saying that's it. That is all that was happening on Earth between these two years. You know? Or, oh, it's this. And it's like, what about China? Rich, long history written down. But when they teach, they say, oh, this is world history. But they're only going to touch on China for a hot minute. You know? They're only going to talk about, you know, uh, you know, African kingdoms don't, don't exist before the Europeans showed up. And then, like it says in the play, they show up, they burn the books, they, they tear down the buildings, they loot the gold, and then they say, see, these people have never been anything. You know, when, mm-hmm. when the conquistadors came uh, and, and conquered the Aztecs, they had books. The Mayans and the Aztecs had actual books, histories things about their lives, stories and, and fables and, and lineage and all of this stuff. And the, one of the first things that the conquistadors did was burn all of those books. And then, like when I was in school, I was always taught, oh, those cultures are preliterate. They didn't mm-hmm. have history. They didn't write things down. But they did. It was destroyed. Same thing that happened in Africa and Southeast Asia and the Middle East. All of these mm-hmm. things that were destroyed – and then we are told, see, they never even wrote down anything. They weren't even literate. There are four books left, I think, from Aztec history, and they're in a museum in, in Germany. Hmm. But we're always told that they didn't even read. We are taught history from a perspective that is such – it's not that it's a lie, but it's very narrow. And that narrowness – is what makes everybody makes uh, elevates European civilization, such as it is, above everything else. That's the lie. Yeah. Theater. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, I was noticing um, uh, in the about playwright that you have your work has been produced and performed in theaters throughout this country. Greece, England, Scotland, Spain, Colombia, Ukraine, the Netherlands, Argentina, Canada, Mexico, as well as at the Melbourne International Arts Festival in Australia, the International Festival of Festival of Verbal Arts in Berlin, the uh, Spoleto Festival in Italy, and the Hong Kong Arts Festival. So, um, yeah, I was just wondering, you know, because when I – when I saw the title of the play, I'm like, huh? Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. And so then before I even as before I even read much into the play, I went to Wikipedia and I was reading volumes on Genghis Khan. And so then when I read the report in the play, I'm like, yeah, that's what I read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um yeah, yeah, I do. Just, when um, people ask me sometimes about my script, and I just do a huge amount of research, mm, you know, mm-hmm. and for mind troop shows or for anything. It's a lot of research mm-hmm. to make sure to get stuff as, as controversially correct as I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to um, any of these territories that he conquered? But his story is like, who would have knew, you know? Like, you don't know his beginning. You don't know what happened to him. 
it's just um, yeah. amazing because um, he's a bad guy, you know, from the Western perspective. Right. There's a but, part, but he's not really a bad guy. Has... I mean, there are some redeeming aspects. I mean, he did kill a heck of a lot of people. Um, yeah, but, but the thing is, yeah. so did Alexander the Great. So did Julius mm-hmm. Caesar. But they're taught mm-hmm. us that we we're told that they're like heroes and brilliant, brilliant, and they're. What they did in terms of influence on the world is so much less than Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, finding out these different things about him to humanize him and go, it's, it's, it's varied. There's all of this, but there's also all of this. He is a person. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. More complex in the same way that for black Americans, we're more complex. We're not all geniuses. We're not all, you know, descended from kings and queens. But we're not all thugs and villains and, and murderers like the, the media wants to show us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, ver- we're, we're a variety. And we deserve to have that variety respected. And, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, and if we're going to be oppressed, like the Mongols were horribly oppressed, if we're going to be yeah. oppressed, there's going to be a reaction to that oppression. And no one should be surprised. Mm-hmm. Revolution. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's been, it's you, been an interesting trip. Mm-hmm. Did you know? Did you know this before um, you wrote the play? Like, did you do the research and then it's like, ah, he'll be perfect um, to, well, you know, to juxtapose. Kind of. Uh, I was when I had the one show in my head, and then because I'm, I'm a, you know, I was a history major in college. Um, And uh, there was a book that came up as a review called uh, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. And uh, I saw the review, and I was like, oh, I should get that sometime. I don't know enough about Genghis Khan. And I'd read Mm -hmm. good reviews of the book. And then I was working on the play, on the one hand, with the black teenagers. And Valena one day said, hey, that book, it's on sale. You should go. You you said you were looking for a new book to read. Get that one. So I got it, and I just read through it because it's a really good book. And I just sped right through the whole book. And that, mm-hmm. and afterwards, that's when it struck me about, like okay. I said, about uh, cultural stereotypes and who gets to be a villain and who gets to declare that person a villain. One of the mm-hmm. things I found in my research is uh, the, the story, The Canterbury Tales, which is yeah. a traditional English story written by Geoffrey Chaucer. Inside mm-hmm. of that, there is one called The Squire's Tale. And the first paragraph of The Squire's Tale is about Genghis Khan and how neat mm-hmm. he is. And this is written back in the day. This is like the 1300s or something. And he talked, and Geoffrey Chaucer in the Canterbury Tales was like, there is this magnificent king, you know, Genghis Khan. He's smart. He's wise. He's brave. He, you know, mm. he, he's all about justice and stuff. That was the European vision of him at that point because he was the great king. England was just this little nothing, a little frozen island. Nobody cared about it. Europe was just this crunchy little bit of, you know, Alps and Vikings. Genghis Khan was the great king. And they admired him and they respected him and they traded with him. And they spent, sent envoys, all of this stuff. It wasn't until later when the Europeans decided they needed to villainize um, the, the uh, Asians, basically. They needed to demonize them and they needed to belittle them. That the, that the attitude towards Genghis Khan started to shift. Before that, I mean, yes, a lot of people died. He's conquered a lot of area. But, you know, the Europeans did the crusades. They killed a lot of people. 
you know, for no reason. So that wasn't a thing. Now, that's what we think of with Genghis Khan, but that was what conquerors did. The question is, what did you do where you conquered? You know, Genghis Khan said all the religions were equal in his kingdom. You know, he, he lowered the taxes yeah. on teachers and doctors because he said that's who shouldn't be taxed. That's what communities need. He's actually eliminated taxes on them. Um, we just don't hear those stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also I really like, um, you know, the love stories that you tell, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, about him. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, um yeah, he's really complex, like you say, really complex person. Um uh which which made uh that story and the way that these children um sort of identified uh particularly Jalen with, with his story, um was particularly the rap that he wrote. He was just like really channeling Genghis Khan energy like whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's really, really, really great. I can hardly wait to see what it looks like, you know. <laughs> you know, uh, Oh, yeah, Daryl Jones, body. the director, he did it. Daryl Jones did a great job with uh, with understanding what I was trying to say with the play. He said, you know, he mm-hmm. read it, and he was just like, I need to direct this play. <laughs> and uh, the theater, when they read it, they're like, who do you think? And then, and uh, they were like, maybe Daryl. And he just, he read the script and was like, I got to be, the, I, got, I want to direct this show. I want to direct it here. I want to direct it across the country. You know, mm-hmm. it really spoke mm-hmm. to him quite a bit about, you know, what he wants to say to the world. And, mm-hmm. and with the, all these stories about, you know, a violence and stereotypes and breaking stereotypes. Uh, so I was really very fortunate that Daryl uh, had the time. Mm-hmm. You know, to step in and direct yeah. the show because we did it a very. They didn't decide to do this show because they didn't know if they were going to do a season until March. Oh. oh. You know, normally you want your shows a, he- a year ahead of time. In March, they were like, "We want to do the show this fall," mm-hmm. and uh, and they couldn't even start hiring people till May. And oh, so wow. we were so oh. fortunate that that all of these actors were available, but also that Daryl was available. You know, and all of these wonderful designers that everybody could come together around the script. Um, it's just, you know, kind of remarkable. Yeah, yeah, kind of magical, which is what this play yeah. is as well. Very, a lot of magic in the play. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So is there music? No, there's just, there's, you know, there's like some change music and stuff. We tried to put in... They're you know, like some um, uh, Mongolian rock bands, so we're using some mm-hmm. of their music in the uh, in the pre-show and like that. But we're not really. It's not a musical, at least not yet. Somebody did say to me that they they're like this should be a musical someday. I was like, <laughs> well, well, let's just hold on. We'll see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations. This is a really really Thank good you. play, and it, um, you know, like you said. Um, about sort of raising issues of teenagers and who just want to be children and enjoy this time, you know. And meanwhile, there's all this stuff happening, you know, within their person and within their bodies and then outside perceptions, which don't reflect how they see themselves, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, which add another layer of complexity to the whole idea of identity. 
and uh yeah and then you know wow yeah but it's you know it's great when 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 the when children have parents and and in your play we 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 see parents that really care about their children and and then we mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. how important friends are as well who um can have differing opinions but not yeah not you know disassociate just because the person doesn't agree with them and and that helps as well. Right. So Everybody you got these kids to talking answers. to them. Right, right, which helps them figure out things healthy in a healthy mm-hmm. way. Yeah, because cause the play yeah. it could go in a lot of ways if if there wouldn't have been like a steady voice coming from one of the kids. <laughs> like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Are you saying this? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> right, um, we're playing up yeah. wanting to show the the curiosity. Of, mm-hmm. That teenagers can have, and that a lot of times their curiosity is slapped down. You know mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know grown ups in the culture are, will say you're not supposed to be interested in that, or who do you think you are? Don't be smart. Which I always thought was one of the mm-hmm. weirdest things to say to a kid. Don't you know? be smart. Yeah. Don't be smart. And as a as a child, I was enough of a sarcastic person that I would say directly to teachers if they were like, "Don't be smart." I'm like, "Why am I in school then?" <laughs> you know, you don't want me to be smart. You know, mm-hmm. We don't mean it like that. And I'm like, well, you're a teacher. Say what you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, it's like <laughs> all of these things we, that we should be encouraging, curiosity in particular. When we, you know, people always are, are, uh, get mad at little kids when they're like, why this? Why that? And they're always asking questions. We should be encouraging that rather than going, man, they're always asking me questions. And it's like if you're mad because you don't know the answer, Find out the answer with the kid. Look it up. It's on the mm-hmm. internet. Stop playing games and go look up, look something up. Then get back to playing your games. But mm-hmm. to 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 encourage curiosity, because once we as people stop being curious about things, we end up with like you know those knuckleheads running up and trying to uh, overthrow the government because they're not really curious. They think they have all the answers. You know. Mm-hmm. And when people already think they have all the answers, they stop being curious. They can't learn anymore, and they just get kind of cemented into their the stereotypes they have in their head about themselves and about everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah, yeah. And and I really like the scene where um, uh, Jalen's mom they're 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 having they they talk a lot, which is nice, and she hugs him, which is nice, even if mm-hmm. he resists. She keeps on hugging him, which is great, um, I think. And um, they have a conversation where um, he's trying to express an opinion, and and then they go back and forth and back and forth. I don't remember um, exactly what mm-hmm. the the conversation was about, um, but he challenges her <laughs> around, you know, his 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 ability to have independent thoughts, and he says, you know, but you just did this and. And and now I'm I'm you know I'm trying it out and you're telling me I can't, um, yeah it's great the way um, they you know they have these conversations and then you know because she's a busy you know mother like a lot of single parents are running all over the place um, uh, she comes back and and you know she does some self reflection and she comes back and she knows that you know, they didn't get a chance to finish the conversation. So that's that's mm-hmm. really, really great. Um, yeah, your parents are, are are really great. I like your parents <laughs> uh, in, in the work. Um, 
and and their relationship with the children because you know it's a real thing and you know and and you all have a, a you have a teenager so you've you've had these yeah. experiences. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember yeah, my well, children that, are really far removed from teenagehood, but um. <laughs> yeah, well, that, it's that that idea of it's like you want to protect your kids, but you also need to respect them, and especially that mm-hmm. moment when they're teenagers, which is very delicate when they're going from being kids to grown-ups, it's like mm-hmm. you shouldn't want them to do it right too fast. Just grow up, you know. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you don't want to keep them as kids, you know. You've got to let them continue to develop, and that's part of the story also for the mother, Crystal, is understanding that her son is growing kind of past what she needs him to be. You know, she needs him to, to want her and need her as a, as a mom, uh, in a certain childish way, and he's developing past that, and she's got to accept that, but mm-hmm. still help him and take care of him and not push him too fast and not drag him back. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But every parent yeah. goes through it. <laughs> yes, yes. This, yeah, you know, change is a constant, that's for sure. So, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. we get through this, and our children grow up, and they are wonderful people and great citizens. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations, particularly on how this play is going to be moving through the network. Oh my goodness! I think you named about yeah. three or four openings after this one. Yeah. Like, oh, that's nice. And I'm, gonna, nice. I'm going to each one of them. I'll go and work with the theater company each time because I want to make mm-hmm. sure. Like there's always a danger, and, and I'm still you know doing tinkering with the script and tinkering with the the character descriptions that you saw on the script that I sent mm-hmm. you are different yes. from the ones that I sent SF Playhouse originally. I had to be more specific, mm-hmm. you know, because I want to make sure yeah. that nobody falls into just making these stereotypical kids. Let's mm-hmm. just make Jaden super cool, and let's make Ant like really hot and stuff like that. It's like no, those aren't the characters. Those aren't the costumes. And that's why I put mm-hmm. in the uh, the definition of nerd in the character. Right. Okay. Like, this is who they are. And and mm-hmm. the thing is, people think, oh, well, nerds are a certain way. Almost everybody I know is a nerd. Um, and because all a nerd is is somebody who knows much more about something than you do, and they won't shut up about it. So football nerds. Everybody you know that is a football, a super football fan, and they can name the stats of this person and this player, and they're playing fantasy. They're a nerd. They're just a football nerd. Somebody who's super mm-hmm. into cars, and they know all this stuff about cars and the overhead cam, and I got this and that and stuff. Nerd, car nerd. People who are mm-hmm. really into theater, really into history. People that are really into makeup, and know all the different makeup companies and and how this texture goes. Makeup nerd. Most people have something that they're passionate about and they think of themselves as cool, they're not. They're nerds. And that's fine. That just means you're smart about something and that these characters have to be that. If they're trying to be cool, which is a terrible thing, in my opinion, whenever somebody's trying to be cool, it's awful because you can't try to be cool. You're either cool or you're not. And being cool is something other people decide. But once you start trying, you're not cool anymore. You know? If you're dressing like somebody else because you think they're cool, you're not cool. You're, you're a copycat. You know? Being mm-hmm. cool is being yourself, whoever that is. 
and allowing your inner nerd to flourish. And then people see you and go, oh, man, this person really knows music. They know the history of rap. They know this stuff. They're cool. They're a rap nerd, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I got to make sure that people don't try to overcool my show. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, uh, cool as an expression. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. And uh, wow, really looking forward to um, to seeing um, the play in its uh, Kate um, uh, production. Since you all are going to have an online, as that Playhouse has has an online um, uh, way yeah. of, of of participating in the season as well, which is great for those of us who can't get to the theater. Uh, in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, get your tickets for either one of those or both, because after you go, you can also, you know, uh, you know, go online as well. And the whole season is, um, the next play is already up uh, insofar as um, uh, what it's going to be. I think it's Twelfth Night. So, um, yeah, Twelfth Night yeah. is a musical, which is it's a mm. super cool musical, and I'm in it. Um, oh. I got cast oh, wow. in that. Cool. Yeah, so I'm writing this show, and then I'm in the next show. And this, the, the music and everything for Twelfth Night is amazing, so I'm really looking forward to that. Mm, nice, nice, yeah. So, again, um, you can go to the website for um, SF Playhouse to get tickets and find out more about the production. And if you want to stay in touch with Michael, you can go to his website, michaelgenesullivan.com. Yep, that'd be me. <laughs> All right, you take good care. And, um, again, um, congratulations and have a wonderful opening night. Thank, thank you so much, Wanda. See you later. Okay. Peace and blessings. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Very strange, enchanted boy. They say he wanders very far, very far over land and sea. A little shy, sad of eyes, but very wise was he. Magic day, he passed my way. And while we spoke of many things, fools and kings, all this he said to me. The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love.
Thank you so much. And that was uh, Michaela Gaston's Nature Boy. And we're going to close with uh, a rebroadcast of Adia Tamara Whitaker's Blusicle, which is at ADC in San Francisco. On the 17th of October, two years ago, 2019, and um, today's a full moon. I'm not exactly certain what it is in, um, but, um, you know, if the clouds aren't um, visible um, or not covering it up, you know, perhaps you can um, can see it and... Uh, Yeah, so um, again, I'm going to play that, and uh, we're going to go into overtime, but it was a really wonderful production, and the interview was phenomenal, and uh, I'm sure you will enjoy it. Well, we were supposed to be starting with uh, <laughs> um, with a uh, giant trinity, but oh well, we'll just get started and try it again a little later. We are so excited to have Adia T- uh, Tamar Whitaker in the studio to talk about um, the uh, Ashe Dance Theater Collective's West Coast premiere of Have No, that's K in parentheses, N-O apostrophe, and then W, Have No Fear, a Bluesico, and that's going to be October 17th through 19th. And Adia um, uh, Tamar Whitaker is artistic director of this 19-year-old Brooklyn-based dance theater ensemble, Ashe Dance Theater Collective, and it's performed contemporary dance, vernacular movement, Afro-Haitian and Haitian dance in the United States and abroad for 17 years. Like, oh, my goodness, where did the time fly, right, Adia? Right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> wow, like amazing. You're getting ready to have your 20th anniversary next year. Like, wow. Awesome, I know. Awesome. It's been a long time. It's been a long mm-hmm. time of doing this work. Yeah, and you've been traveling all throughout the world, you know, in the uh, African diaspora and elsewhere, Haiti or Haiti. Cuba, France, Germany, Spain, the Netherlands, Belgium, Ghana, Jamaica, and Trinidad. And when you're there, um, uh, you both study and teach dance. And you received your MFA in dance from Hollins University, which is in Yeah, Virginia. I just completed that. I just completed Congratulations. that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a lot of hard work, but I made it through. Yeah. Not really a <laughs> academic type of uh, person, but, you know, mm-hmm. I just had to get my freedom papers, some more freedom papers. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah. And Virginia, you know, um, sort of honoring the 400th anniversary of of the Commonwealth, uh, you know, entrance into, um, you know, this particular hemisphere as uh, a, a place that had, African people, you know, as possessions. Um, so that was in August. And so where's Hollands in relationship to um, oh, uh, Hampton? I, you know, I don't know where it is in relationship to Hampton, but Ho- Hollands was an old plantation. 
So it's what? just a deep, yeah, it was an old plantation. And so the people, the descendants of the Africans that lived on that plantation and, and worked as enslaved Africans still live on the land and are the groundskeepers and they work in the cafeteria. And you can visit this, like the graveyard of a family. So I think it's the Locke family. They have their mm-hmm. graves in one place, and then they have the graves of their enslaved Africans there as well. So Hollins was deep. I could I didn't get over to the graveyards because it was just such such a journey for me. But um, mm-hmm. just being on the land where Africans were enslaved and everybody knows it, and then I guess it turned into a spa at some point. And then after mm-hmm. that, since Holland is a un- women's university, there were mm-hmm. the young women that attended there were allowed to have a young black woman as their kind of helper to help mm-hmm. them, I don't know, carry their books or just, I don't know, just basically work for them. So that's kind mm-hmm. of an interesting kind of strangeness that was also going on there. And it also is on indigenous land. We have to also mm-hmm. remember that. Before all mm-hmm. of our ancestors got there, it was indigenous land. So there's a lot of strong, like, psychic and spiritual energy just on the campus of Hollands because it's really old. And in the middle of the campus, there's a big, you know, like a big circle with a cross in the middle. So for me, it's mm-hmm. a Dikanga. It's a big Congolese, you know, cosmogram in the middle yeah. of the quad with four houses on each side. So... There's lots of energy there, and also when I was, I uh, one of the parts of big parts of have no fear. Um, I refer to Margaret Wise Brown's book, Good Night Moon, the children's book, and so yeah. there was this big ballroom on campus that had this big green carpet, and every time I'd go in the room, I'd be like, in the great green room, there was a telephone, and I get all excited, but there wasn't a whole lot of parents there, so. It didn't really mean as much to my cohort as it did to me, but every time I would go in that room, I would just, like, even under my breath, I would recite this. In the great green room, there was a telephone. And one day I went to the student union, and I saw her book in the student union. And I'm like, oh, my God, this book has been a part of my life since I've had children. I've had to read it for eight years. I've memorized it. And I was like, do you have children's books on campus? And they said, no, we just have her book because she's an alumni. And so mm-hmm. I went back wow. and I looked at some more information to find out if she had been in the room that I would mm-hmm. go into and have this urge to say lines from her book. And it turned out that at the time she went to school there, it was a cafeteria. So she was absolutely in that space. So mm-hmm. that's one of the, the like kind of connected tissues that, that I was like, okay, let me figure out why this dead white woman is talking to me. Because she's an ancestor as well, and I need to figure out what she, what her, what her connection to my work is. Because every time I go in that space, I'd, I'd say those lines, and then when it was time to pick our the place we would perform for our thesis, I was like, I don't want to do it in the theater. I need to do it in that ballroom because it was like a gazebo ceiling, a big shiny chandelier, and I don't even know if my ancestors would have been allowed in that space to be in service of all the very very dead white people on the walls because the whole space was surrounded by pictures of the Locke family, all these white elders and scholars. So I'm Mm -hmm. sure that my family would not have been allowed in that room at all if it were not in service. 
Um, so I was like, well, because I know that we probably weren't allowed in this room, I'm about to do this right here underneath your shiny <laughs> crystal chandelier on your green carpet in front of all. And it gave such a, a, a backdrop to the choreography and the singing and what we were doing. Because, you know, we got drums up there. We were barefoot. We had on frocks, but it wasn't. It was definitely not what we would have been able to do between the 15th and the 19th, 18th century, you know. Mhm. <laughs> wow, this is so amazing. Yeah, wow, place is everything, isn't it? Right, right, it totally yeah, is. And yeah. I think that, you know, like I was getting a lot of people like, you know, with, with us performing at ODC, it's a completely, mm-hmm. you know, this piece or these, you know, everything that we're going to present was really, I got to a place in performing in the concert stage where I was like, you know, I, it wasn't enough for me anymore. And I'm like, you know, the people that inspire most of the work that a lot of artists do don't get to see it, right? Maybe they can't afford mm-hmm. to come to the show. Maybe they have so many life things that are keeping them from the theater. So really this piece was designed as a model of like, performance art protest and action because i was like you know it's fine to do it in the theater but a theater is a very sanctioned space and i'm interested in the spaces where we don't have permission like rosa parks didn't ask for permission she just said no you know you don't you don't ask permission for the revolution to happen or for resistance to happen and so i was like you know i feel like we're in a time where there's so much performing of the progressive and of the revolution and of resistance. But people are not really willing to be uncomfortable or to put their lives on the line. And the United States is one of the only places where we can at this time, maybe not in a couple of weeks or in a month, that I have an opportunity to present a work like this and not be murdered. And that, you know, I'm very I'm very present with the privilege that I have to be able to present this work, whether it's on the street or whether it's in a theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, wow. Yeah, um, I'm going to run, keep on running through your, your bio, and then I want us to talk more about about what you call um, this work, an undoing spell to untie all the knots that choke the future from natural disasters and systemic oppression to forced migration. It's a work of both healing and resistance, and um notice that um you uh you came through you know that wonderful institution uh I don't know what it's looking like now in in San Francisco San Francisco State University but you were probably there when all those wonderful um elder women African women teachers were there and I want to pour an ashe to um to Dr. Uh, Nasisi Kayu who who made right. her transition mhm ashe Nasisi yeah. Yep, those those were the ones that came and got me. Not, um, mm-hmm. Dr. Dr. Kai was my teacher. Dr. Bird is my teacher. Alicia mm-hmm. Pierce is my teacher. Malanga Costa Lord mm-hmm. is my teacher. Carlos Atacuno nice. is my teacher. Perkiso mm-hmm. is my teacher. Um, so many teachers. Miss Blanche Brown <laughs> is my teacher. Mm-hmm. Michelle Martin is my teacher. Portia Jefferson is my teacher. All of them. They all they all brought me into being who I think I am right now. And um, I didn't really know. You know, I didn't know. I was a regular Frisco, San Francisco 
youth. I didn't know anything about no conscious, nothing, and no drums. I just went to San Francisco State because I was in Upward Bound, and I got that's the college I got into. So mm-hmm. when I met all these people, they really came and got me. It wasn't, I was like, no, I'm going to, you know, be a journalism major or something. And they were like, no, 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 no. You need to come on over here. And I was like, no, I'm not going to be able to survive as a dancer. I don't want to be, uh. and I had all these notions about, like, what an artist, you know, like what it is to be an artist and how I would just be struggling and hungry. And even though that happens sometimes, I just, you know, I always have to thank them for pushing me and <laughs> chasing me down and being like, no, 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 you come over here. <laughs> oh wow, that is so awesome. So tell us about tell us about the work um, because there there are a lot of a lot of parts to it. And also, I want to mention that um, that you um, you were part of uh, the the uh, what is it the professional you got a professional division U.S. Independent Studies program something or another at Ailey School. Oh yeah, uh, I just I just went, that's how I came to New York is I I got done at mm-hmm. San Francisco State. In 2000, and then when I was coming, I was didn't know what I was going to do, so I bought a ticket to Cuba because I was like, let me just go and see if I'm just going to travel the world and study dance. Cause I, you know, I ended up doing it anyway, but I, I just didn't know what I was going to do. And, like, at the last minute, I think my mom got tickets to see um, Ailey at the Zeller Block and Ron mm-hmm. Brown did Grace in that show. Ah. The Ailey Company was performing, and Ron Brown, I did grace, and I had never seen anything like it. And so because I saw grace, I decided Mm -hmm. I was going to audition for the Ailey School the next day because I wasn't going to. I had auditioned the year before, and I didn't get in. And so I was like, "Mm, you know, maybe I'll go see the show. So I went to see the show, and at the last minute, I was like, I'm going to audition. I went to Berkeley, I auditioned, and then I got into the professional division independent study program. And then, so that was June, and then I was in New York in September. Oh, wow. And then I started performing <laughs> in December. Oh, my. I was, wow. You know, yeah, it was quick. It was a quick little, this is your destiny, you know, moment. Yeah, yeah. It seems like you, you get those kind of calls. Like, they're, you know, you don't have to wander around. It's like... This is what we want you to do. The ancestors are telling yeah. right? Yeah, that's nice. You know, sometimes yeah, you have to wander nice. around for a bit. It's good when you get it more direct, right? <laughs> and you listen. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's always been that way, though. So I guess, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. that is a blessing. It is a blessing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. So, so tell us more about um, this wonderful "Have No Fear" a Bluesico, and and your, you know, your dance theater collective and you know all the different pieces that are you're pulling together that people won't know like wow this was a real big thing um you know both sides yeah, of I, the country and you know all these yeah, different creative minds that are coming together and you know the multiple genres you know there's dance there's live music um yeah, yeah. talk to us about it so um <clears throat> it began with um, I start. I choreographed the first section of Have No Fear. So Have No Fear of Bluesical is composed of three parts. The first part is called A Break for the Five. I choreographed, I started to choreograph A Break for the Five, I'd say in like 2007, for a show called Native Tongue that happened at OBC. The show was presented by Jacinta Vlock. 
And so it was really her show, but she she wanted me to do work in it, or she asked me to do work in it, and I said yes. And originally it was kind of an idea. I knew that just from my personal experiences that um, my friends, a lot of the black folks in Frisco were leaving. They were going back down south um, when I was in San Francisco. And there was a point where I wanted to come back to San Francisco. My friends were like, don't come back here. Something like new and kind of dangerous and strange is happening and I was like, no, no, I'm going to come home. And they were like, no, no, don't come back because you're going to get caught up in it. And I was like, I don't understand. But, you know, I think they were describing, like, the prison industrial complex had gone from something that we were marching in the street about and, like, something that was over there that we were, like, standing up for. And it became, like, very personal and started to affect my family, their families, people we know, Um and so it became kind of like if you stay in San Francisco, you kind of have a couple fates. You'll either uh, get addicted to drugs or the cops will kill you or um, you, you know, turned out by just street life. Um, and so it was really hard. They were just like, it's really hard for black folks. A lot of people are going down south. A lot of people are moving out. And that's when gentrification really started to pop. And so my friends were like, just don't come home. There's just no, there's not opportunities for here for us like that anymore. And so when I was, when I started to make work, you know, you can't make the same work that is relevant out here in the East Coast to what's happening in the Bay because the Bay is like a whole nother thing. So although mm-hmm. I can do the work that ha- is happening out here, there's just way more diversity in the African diaspora. So the the things that we are talking about or talk about in the Bay, it just, there's different issues you need to address when you're there because they're just different places with different populations and people from different places, you know. And so mm-hmm. I decided I was going to do a break for the five, and I wanted to do um, a rah-rah for the, like, disappearing population of African Americans and just people of color in San Francisco. And so that's mm-hmm. how it started. So I looked at the the model of a Haitian rah-rah and how it was used or is used as a form of political protest, but then also looking, using some of the, like, voodoo of it, like the sequins to reflect the negative energy away, Um, and also kind of creating this inner diasporic syncretization between not only um, uh, visual, like, aesthetics from Haitian folklore, but also from uh, folklore that comes from Trinidad and Tobago, and just kind of making this place where the diaspora meets and decides that um, we're all cousins and we're all Africans and we share a lot of, even though our specific situations are very different, we still are kind of um, speaking up against the same forces that seek to oppress us and silence us um, and take our freedoms away. And so that's how Break for the Five happened. And then it grew a little bit bigger when Mark Bamuti Joseph brought us to the Bay Area to perform in the Living Word Festival, I believe, in like 2010, nine, ten. We did it twice. Okay. We did it like 2000, maybe 2008 and then 2010. And so it grew into mm-hmm. something bigger. Um, and it just kept growing and growing. And I feel like my pieces, all the pieces that I create are like children. And, you know, people, you know, in the society we live in, people want you to produce all these things really quickly and make pieces, make works, and what are you doing next? And I feel like that's one thing that I've really resisted is I've been like, you know what, I'm going to take time to grow this work to its full realization and potential and really see what it is. And if it takes me 20 years to do that, then I'm going to do that. 
And so this is the piece where I feel like I really dug my heels in and was like, no, I'm not just going to keep making things to make things. I'm going to make things that have that have relevance and are poignant. And so um, that's how a break for the five happened. That's the first section. The other part of a break for the five is that I'm the first female in my family on my mother's side to not participate in the quilting tradition um, in our mm-hmm. family. And my family's from South Carolina. And so that's a big deal. Um, that was a big deal in our family. And so for me, because I didn't grow up in South Carolina, because I just visited and I grew up in the Bay, I always felt like a really strong connection to my family. But, that you know, I'm always like the diversified cousin or the kind of outsider. But the the – the the how do you say the tradition the tradition of the Baptist Church although I'm not Christian at all it is very strong in me because my grandfather Reverend C J Whitaker was a Baptist minister um, and he was responsible for forming the first like Democratic Party in Greenville South Carolina so he was also an activist so that runs strong in that side of my family and so I wanted to participate in that quilting tradition with my mama's people because I was like you know I feel like they speak to me in dreams and they give me all this kind of um, inspiration in the work that I create. And so I wanted to be able to speak to them further. And so in creating a break for the five, this is my like, this, these are my patches for my familial quilt or my ancestral quilt. This is like my telephone to my ancestors on that side of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after I came, after I, I've been working on the break for the five, we performed it a bunch of times. It kept growing and changing um, and then in 2011, after I was in the Bay Area um, for quite some time presenting work at CounterPost, um, I hmm. came pregnant with my daughter. <laughs> and so my daughter was born on 9-11-11. She was born during Occupy Wall Street. And I remember people calling me like, it's going down. You need to come out here. And I was like, I just had a baby at my house. Like, I've been in labor for four days. I can't come outside. And so... My, um, that kind of put me in a moment of like, okay, well, I can no longer be a lieutenant in the same way in terms of actions. Like, I can't go outside right now. I might not be able to go outside all the time. So how can I participate in the things that are happening and the things that I still very much believe in and support without being on the front lines? And so that's when I think Have No Fear started to bubble at that time. Mm -hmm. Like a little bit after my my daughter was born, after she was born, uh, I still was performing a break for the five, and I was trying to figure out like, okay, how do I do this? Because I can't. I mean, I can go outside with my baby, but when we get pepper sprayed, that's just, and then my family's gonna like jump on me because I had a baby outside in mm-hmm. in some kind of you know whatever. So I was I was really kind of in a place of stuckness, and I think what pushed it through is then I became pregnant with my son in 2014 and I was doing a residency in Trinidad and um, while I was in Trinidad or while we were in Tobago uh, the Black Lives Matter movement started so although we all knew know this, these things were happening already have always been happening it just became way more highly publicized and I was like yo like I gotta go back to the United States and I'm pregnant with this little boy like it's all bad so 
So, yeah, so that's what I was like, how am I going to teach my children to protect themselves? Like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know. Like, this is like now it's a state of emergency. And I had had pieces that people had kind of warned me about that I had done, like little singing and dancing pieces that then later became a part of Have No Fear that that my friends that were folklorists was like, you know, you got to be careful, like singing and dancing and all that because, you know, you're talking about people and they might come get you. And I'm like, well, you know, Nina Simone did it. James Baldwin did it, Bob Marley did it, James Brown did it. Like, if they did it, like, shouldn't we be doing it too? Like, didn't they show us a way to do it? And so mm-hmm. I think I was building the work inside of other works for a very long time, but I think I was I was maybe a little scared to put it all together. Into, I knew mm-hmm. it was something, but I just didn't want to put it all in one piece because I knew if I did it, like, little by little, I could see how people would react to it. And they had some strong uh-huh. reactions, even though they were just sections of pieces. And so when I got back to Brooklyn, um, there was, you know, the gentrification that's happening and the dislocation, all the things that are happening in the Bay Area are beginning to still beginning to happen in Brooklyn. It hasn't happened in the Bay out here as severely as it's happened in the Bay. But um, there was some filmmakers that wanted to collaborate with some neighborhood artists and they were doing a fellowship for this organization called Union Docs. And so we were connected through one of the dancers in my company and um they were they are they were three white women that lived like in the neighborhood. So they were gentrifiers and technically I'm a gentrifier too because I'm not from here. I'm not from Brooklyn, but I moved here. So but my situation is a little bit different. And so um, we started to work together. For us, I mean, I took it to Ashe, you know, because Ashe a long time ago transformed from, like, just being a body of dancers and performers on stage to, like, a, a nation of mamas and babas and children and people that are all really taking care of each other, kind of like how folks did during the Great Migration when you would move from your various parts of the South and you would come up to the city. And even though you wouldn't have your blood family close, you would make your so that's in the, in the spirit of the Great Migration. We're, we kind of did the same thing. And so I took it to mm-hmm. them, and I was like, you know, these are three white women that want to do this film on us, but, you know, white folks stay making money off black suffering. So I was like, I don't know if we should do it. What do you guys think? And so they decided, they said, okay, yes, we will do it, but if anybody starts getting, like, major bread off it or anything, then we got to pump the brakes and we got to redo contracts and all this stuff. So Ashe agreed to do it, and we began the process. And for me, it was really like, okay, the new neighbors are here. They're not going anywhere. So instead of, like, just beasting out on the new neighbors, let's see what – let me try to be a human being. Let's share this lineage of being humans on the planet, and let's try to see what working together looks like. So we didn't have a whole lot of bumps and scrapes because, like I said, they're filmmakers. I'm a choreographer. We we share the lineage of art. So that really united us. You know, there was there was definitely cultural scrapes. And in the film, you know, there's things like I look like I'm a single mother when I have an amazing partner and I love him and he loves me, but it looks like I'm a single mother. And, you know, there's little things where I'm like, okay, you guys made some editing choices that were interesting. But I love them. They're wonderful people. And I guess they took this film all over the world. It won awards. And I, in the meantime, I just started going and getting my MFA and just living life and being a mama and being a choreographer, doing all the things I do. 
And then, like, a year later, it just had – the film had had a whole life. Like, when I was in Europe, I guess, I was in Germany, and then the film was in Poland, and the Polish people wanted me to come to Germany. It was a, I was like, really? I was just reading books. Like, I didn't know <laughs> that all these things were happening. And so that's how the second section of Have No Fear started, right? Because it, it, the, in the film, it's called Have No Fear. So after right. they made the film Have No Fear, then I was like, Okay, I, I think that's what this piece, this next section of this piece is called. And so when okay. I then I started to go into my thesis, and that's when it really took shape. Where I decided, okay, I'm gonna we're gonna hit all these different ideas that really keep us silenced. And I really wanted to look at the idea of if I I am a, an African American woman that has always grown up with fear. I've raised I've been raised in fear because. That's constantly how your parents raise you. You just know not to act a fool because you're afraid either something's going to happen. You're always afraid something's going to happen or there's a consequence, you know, like a, such a thing. So mm-hmm. I was like, well, what if, what would it be if I really addressed white Jesus and how the iconography of white Jesus has negatively affected people of color across the planet? What would it be if I really wrote Aunt Jemima's quitting speech and I, you know, as a salute to, like, Aunt Jemima as the survival masquerade and, like, talked about how my grandma scrubbed your toilets and ironed your curtains so that I don't have to, so that everyone is clear about who we are. And, like, what if I taught my children rhymes, nursery rhymes, that would stick in their heads so if they ever got in a situation where they were faced with, police officers that didn't have their best intentions in mind. They would have this soundtrack playing in their heads so they would know their next steps and they wouldn't flinch or put their hands in their pockets so that they got hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, so there was there were several there were several motives for have no fear the bluesical and one the most important one was to keep my children alive and to keep all of our children, especially Nashe, because between now between us now there's about thirteen children and most of mm-hmm. them are boys. And so I was thinking about our boys and how we were going to teach them, you know, whatever we could because, you know, whatever can happen. It doesn't mean, like, they have this song in their head and they won't get hurt. But it it may give them a very clear soundtrack as to their options. Um, Mm -hmm. I was also, like, looking at the idea of ritual dance theater and the power of prayer because in African tradition my elders always teach us that you have to be really specific in your prayers and that the power of word is very strong and so the the songs that go with the pieces um, are very intentional and they're clear you know it's not I've done so much work where so much of the the music I've created is like coded and it's proverb and it's double entendre and you see this in a break for the five but and have no fear it's really it's it just says what it is and it does what it does. It wasn't about like creating the most intricate choreography and abstracting things so far that people couldn't identify what they were because I want to get Auntie Such and Such out of the laundromat to come and see what I'm talking about to see if she'll come to the courthouse with me and hold a sign. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to get you know the the this that foundation donor to see like oh that I that I've studied and that I've I have this certain level of technique 
it's really about people being together in a room, in a space, and trying to figure out and shifting. It's not even offering an answer. It's really like, okay, if we get together in a space and we shift, then something else might shift. Because if you look at labor, if you look at when a person is in labor, like you really hope and pray that at the end of the labor that you have a child, that you have a person. But some people don't have that outcome. But whatever you, whatever the outcome is of labor, you still shifted, you still changed it, changed, and you still grew. And so that's that's what I think that I'm trying to do, especially when it comes to this time in history that we're in. Nobody really knows what to do because all of these constructs of whiteness and blackness and other and all of these different things, we were born into them. And so we can we can have all of our decolonizing, our imagination, all of these different things. But in the end, we're all trying to figure out, like, what actually to do to shift the the like foundations of white supremacy patriarchy and capitalism that keep us all stuck because we we live here so we all support it we're all a part of it but nobody mm. really knows what we can do and so my idea is real simple it's like if we come together in a space and we actually shift our bodies in a space then maybe that will cause some shift mm mm-hmm. right yeah um, well, I'm kind of, we're kind of out of time, but I wanted to um, give you an opportunity um, in closing to um, maybe talk about, um, maybe give the names of of the members of Ashe, and I know you're going to have um, a special um, Oakland-based musician who also yeah. serves as the music director, um, and I don't want to mess up um, his name, so that's why I'm not saying it. Unless you do it. So, yes, I wonder if you could give give the give the names of of you know the other members of of Ashe. So this process has been quite challenging because the cl- the ca- cast is split coast. on the west coast. From um, even though Guy DeShalas is from New York and was mm-hmm. the artistic director of Ashe Dance Theater Collective for many, many years. He moved to the Bay Area. And so he is the the fiddler in the work, and he is the musical director of the work. We also have the extraordinary voices of Tossi Long and Zakia Shapeshifter Harris. They are just, like, gorgeous singers and amazing artists in their own right. Like, aside from me, they have their own things going on, and you should check them out. Um, mm-hmm. The other drummers we have working with us are Pablo Soto Campo Amor, and he is an extraordinary visual artist as well. And then we have Eliyahu Salam. Um, and so those are the Bay Area kind of Ashe folks. I would also put uh, Andrew, he's a lighting designer, and he has been with us since Counterpulse, so I would definitely throw him a, like a shout-out to him as a dope lighting designer. Um, from mm-hmm. the East Coast, uh, we have uh, Alexandra Jean-Joseph, we have Brian Polite, we have Kendra Ross, Aaron Holmes, um, ay, ay, ay. oh no, Kendra Holmes, Tanisha Newland, um, I think that's everybody, yeah, I think that's everybody. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Those are all, right. Yeah, those are all the Ashe East and West folks. Okay, and um, the filmmakers again? Oh, um, I'm sorry, Imani and Zinga. That's the other one. Imani and Zinga. Oh. And Stephanie okay. Boxos. 
what am I doing? Bay Area, Stephanie Bastos. She's also in it. I'm so sorry. Stephanie Bastos is amazing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it says the, the project's filmmakers include um, Beata. Beata Kalinska. Uh, mm-hmm. Tracy Williams, who is also she's also working with us, like art direction, like helping us um, do some of our social media stuff, um, mm-hmm. and Sarah Jacobson, um, and everything really has been brought together as well by an organization called Purpose Productions, um, ran by Austin Edwards, and um, our production manager is Marisol Ibarra. So I think that's everybody. <laughs> Right. Um, so it's a whole village and, of people. Nice, nice. And again, we're speaking to Adia Tamara Whitaker um, about Ashe Dance Theater Collective uh, having uh, its West Coast premiere of Have No Fear, a Bluesicle. Again, October 17th through 19th, um, Thursday through Saturday. That's next week, 8 p.m. And uh, that's at ODC. And uh, you can go to odc.dance. Um, forward slash bluesico and ODC is located in San Francisco and I'm looking for an address. Um oh here it is. Three one five three seventeenth street. And uh tickets are fifteen to thirty dollars. And um um I think is that everything? Um yeah, do you have a website? I do. It's ashedance.com, A-S-E-D-A-N-C-E.com. Okay, super, super. All righty. Oh, I know what I was looking for. There's going to be a talk on next Friday, um, October 18th at 630 at ODC. Uh, ODC is going to host you in a conversation, a public talk, presented in partnership with the Institute for Curatorial Practice and Performance based at Wesleyan University. So I think that part is free to the public. So folks will probably come out and hear you, you know, sort of ex- expound on, on the concept, you know, you know, with that, that MFA, you got the language too, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and you have MFA. copies of your dissertation for us to be able to take home. Um, <laughs> all righty. Oh, well, super. MFA. Yeah. Well, look forward to seeing you next week. Oh, you're quite Thank welcome. You so so funny. Um, yeah, uh, you were talking about Counterpulse San Francisco, and Jess Curtis uh, Gravity uh, is presenting his um, second weekend of Invisible um, this weekend at, at Counterpulse. I just thought that was kind of cool that, you know, sort wow. of you all are like crossing, you know, each other um, in the um, uh, in this conversation. So if you want oh, to say wow. hi to Jess, he's on the air now with uh, a couple of other choreographers, Sherwood. Uh, Adia. Ken. Oh, Sherwood, what's up? Hi. Hi. <laughs> and Gabriel Christian. Hi there. Hi, everybody. I'm so sorry. That was very loud. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was so thrilled loud. to hear Adia, to the, the master who was already a master before the MFA, I have to say. Uh-huh. <laughs> Aw, thanks. Thanks. Okay, yeah. so take care, everyone. <laughs> All right, safe travels. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Good luck. Bye. <laughs> uh, thank you all so much for your patience. Um, I'm glad glad you were able to, to say hey, uh, Sherwood. I'm glad you're also able to join us because I know you're going to be 
traveling in a minute um, to your next hey, destination. Wanda. Hey, yeah, and and thank you so much, uh, Jess, um, for you know being available, Jess Curtis, to talk about you know your um, your uh, your program, you know this year, this 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 season, oh. and. Uh, yeah, and I remember last year we had an opportunity to talk about gravity. I just love gravity. Like, it's so heavy, right? And we got people without electricity, right, as we speak. Like, what? What? I mean, the people with money without electricity, like not the poor people that have been living without electricity on the streets for a minute. Like, they know how to survive. But the folks, like, wow, isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turning off really the electricity, is. like, for five days maybe. Like, oh. yeah, so we're yeah. looking at the maps. Who's going next? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, gravity presents invisible. How do you experience a performance by seeing it? What if that's not possible? So I'm trying to think, should I run through all of your bios and then we could talk about invisible? How sh- you think that will work good? I mean, should we do it that way? Your call. Oh, could you tell us we're what, really, what invisible We're happy to be oh. here. Okay. At well, your service. Maybe. So, Jess, why don't you tell us, I'll read your bio, Jess, and you tell us what um, (laughs) Invisible is, and then I'll read Gabriel Christian and Sherwood, and Sherwood, we'll let you talk a lot because we know you might have to slip out. So, Jess Curtis is an award-winning choreographer and performer committed to an art-making practice informed by experimentation, innovation, critical discourse, and social relevance. He has created and performed multidisciplinary works throughout the United States and Europe with the radical San Francisco performance groups Contraband and Core and the experimental French circus company Cahen Caja. Yes. Did I say it right? Okay. In 2000, he founded his transcontinental performance company, Jess Curtis Gravity. And that's a forward slash there after Curtis. Uh, Curtis is active as a researcher and performance, and excuse me, researcher, writer, teacher, advocate, and community organizer in the fields of contemporary dance and performance. He holds an MFA in choreography and a PhD in performance studies from the University of California at Davis. So, so with introduction um, to. Um, you know, what we're going to be talking about in, in your first weekend, this is your second weekend. Tell us, uh, Jess, about uh, Invisible, in in parentheses, and then Visible. Yeah, well, um, Invisible is a project we've been working on for almost two years now, or depending on sort of what which parts of our early experiments you count. Um, but this crew has actually been, we made a, a piece, uh, a sort of research piece in 2017. But the work really comes out of a lot of um, some of my experience um, as I've been collaborating with artists in the UK, particularly with Claire Cunningham. Um, and I've had the opportunity over the last few years to see a, um, what a number of productions and then to, to build into my own production what are called access accommodations. Um, for people with visual impairments, as well as for deaf folk, too. But um, I got really interested um, in uh, in practices that allow people um, who with low vision or people who are blind to be able to experience dance performance. And, um, you know, I've grown up as a dancer and throughout my career 
experiencing dances from the inside. And I know how exciting a dance can be um, beyond just what you see from from the audience. So um, with with my last project with Claire, which was called The Way You Look at Me Tonight, um, we placed the audience on stage and we did we used a number of these practices that come out of making the work accessible to actually um, inspire audiences to feel the work in different ways, not just to sit back at the back of the auditorium and look at people jumping around on the other side of the room, but to really be in the middle of it. And that was uh, really successful and exciting, the way that Claire and I used that in that piece. And uh, But I felt like there was way more that we could do um, and that was super interesting to me. So I invited Sherwood and Gabriel and um, four other dancers, two of them from Berlin and two more from here from the Bay Area. And we've been working for the last year and a half, um, building up and researching uh, on just different ways of utilizing all of the senses in performance. So we've been, uh, we're, yeah, that's kind of the genesis of the work, and I think I'm I'm really proud of it. We've we've run it for, we've premiered it this summer in Berlin, and then we just uh, opened it last weekend in Counterpulse, and we've gotten really great responses from folks, and are really looking forward to this next weekend. Oh, awesome, awesome! Congratulations! Yeah, so. Gabriel um, Christian is a multidisciplinary artist bred in New York City and baking in Oakland, California. I hope that you have electricity <laughs> still, Gabriel. Are you on that list? Or I no? do, yeah. I am. I know, actually, I'm totally safe from the list. I've been lucky. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, me too. I'm like, oh, you know, you know, sort of like, yeah, I'm in the, I'm, well, I'm in Alameda, but the people that are in the flats, like, right, like, we're good. <laughs> yeah, we'll oh, see. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Gabriel's work um uh, metabolizes the vernaculars with black B L A Q diaspora uh futurity afro vivalism. You can skip the next word a little bit. Hard for the radio. Uh, yes, it's okay. You can skip the next word. Okay. Um through <laughs> body based live performance and poetics. Moreover, I should have had this together from last year, right? Moreover, they feel the bio <laughs> to be an unfortunate byproduct of capitalistic modes like chattel slavery. Ah, okay, we have to take a pause here. Okay. Um, Sherwood Chen has worked as a performer with artists including Grisha Coleman, uh, Yoko Kaseki. Uh, Yuko, Yuko Kaseki. Right. Yuko Kaseki, Amara Tabor Smith, uh, Anna Halprin, Min uh, Tanaka, Xavier Leroy, Inkboat, Komu, how do you pronounce? Um, Murobushi. That, that, uh, Murobushi. Well, uh, Chris, yeah, I've, I've been around the block. <laughs> so <we> right. <laughs> And and I know you teach classes at ODC because I went to their website. I'm like, oh, Sherwood is like all over this this schedule. Um, <laughs> he leads workshops for, for performers for in. Oh, that's oh, okay. He leads workshops for performers in studio and in natural and urban landscapes mm-hmm. worldwide. I remember running into you in Dakar. That was so cool. 
you and Amar. I think that was the last time we <laughs> saw each other almost when it was in Dakar. Yeah. Oh, seriously? Dang, that was a long time ago. Hmm. It was a long wow. time ago, yeah. Yeah, well, I really need to come see you in this. Uh, for over 20 years, <laughs> you served as a cultural worker in public, nonprofit, and philanthropic, philanthropic <laughs> sectors, focusing on community <clears throat> arts programming, arts education, arts grant making, and as an artist act advocate in the United States with a focus on supporting tradition-based Native Californian and immigrant artists. And he has a website, SherwoodChin.com. All righty. So, um, Sherwood and Gabriel, tell us about your work in uh, Jeff, Jeff Curtis' Gravity Presents Invisible. Go for it, Gabriel. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> I know. That's why I beat you to it. Um I mean, I'll just start by saying that we've both been involved in this for about three years now. It's almost, I think it's the third year, actually, that we've been um, in rehearsal in some way for uh, a project. This is, of course, two different projects, but the first one was in 2017, and that was a very different um, experience. It was a first take, um, first draft, I guess, in a way, for how we were um, entering as able – me, I'll talk to myself as, – as, as I was entering as an able-bodied dancer – who had um, also limited experience dancing and limited experience with access questions. So um, that piece went up in 2017 and sort of opened up a lot of um, those uh, curiosities. And I think this round has been a lot um, – I've come from a place not of expertise, but of sort of more um, more ability to understand how to talk about and, and engage with um, these things that are really complicated around access and, um, and, and visual impairment that I just didn't have any – uh, any language for before. So um, our role has been kind of, I mean, my role has been very much like stepping in and um, feeling humble and also feeling like um, there's a lot of things that can be learned in the room and bringing my own sort of like joy to the process and laughter and um, language. My, my, I'm, I'm trained as a theater actor from, from Yale University, so I have like lots of experience with scripts and languaging things. And so this whole process has been also asking us to be very vocal um, which I, I do plenty of in my own work, so it's been nice to see how that carries over to um, the dance context. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sherwood? Oh, yeah. Well, um, what, other thing I would add maybe would be that um, I, I, um, I feel like the with this piece, Jess is really trying to provoke and ask questions for the audience, uh, as you as you had read earlier in terms of um, the, the material that you read at Wanda, in terms of asking, well, in what way do you experience a dance? And traditionally, a dance is something that's really considered a very visual medium. Um, and I think that this provocation is, for me, hits me on two fronts. One is, I think, for people in general who come together, the audience who's going to be there, we're going to share the space with the performers, um, to really remind us of our as humans, just our, our ability to be able to perceive and to feel and that we would have all of these um, resources at our, our sensory resources that are, um, that, w- that are available for us. And so in that sense, I think that the piece really provokes that um, searching, opening, and questioning for, uh, for not only the public but also the dancers. And that brings me to the second point, which is as a performer, I think that I've had a career – um, and been trained in a way to, to almost unconsciously assume that the visual 
was going to be the default dominant um, mode of, of uh, communication. And I think that for me, this project has been very provocative and inclusive of, as, as Gabriel was mentioning, the earlier phases when we were beginning to research this and taking a look at um, the, the very rich practice of audio description that exists for television film performances, but then beginning to see how that's incorporated in real time live dancing. And I would say that as a, as a performer, that's been a, a wonderful challenge and also really pushing me to, uh, in, in addition to specifically working with um, the uh, fellow artists on the team who have visual impairments and other team members as well. Um, Jess, you can talk about them maybe perhaps uh, next. But in terms of uh, working with them, really allowing me to um, figuratively and perhaps very literally opening my eyes to new ways of, of actually considering um, what it means to perform for a public. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would, so if Jess, I could jump in. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, these uh, both Sherwood and um, and Gabriel are such articulate people and super interesting collaborators to work with, but um, and also humble. And I want to I want to just underline. I, I think one of the dangers of this piece in talking about it is that because we do we are sort of inspired and coming from a place of research around sense around perception and stuff that um, it can sound very brainy um, and actually the piece is inc really in both both Sherwood and Gabriel just dance amazingly and ecstatically in this piece and I I get to watch this piece I'm, I'm not uh, I don't perform in the piece and and just getting to feel the wind rushing by as either of them um, zoom through the room right in front of you or Watch watch them um, work with each other. They have a really beautiful duet at the beginning of the piece where they just they just really quickly uh, describe little takes on what they're how they're interacting with each other and they're they're just amazingly beautiful dancers both both to see if you and to listen to. Um, so I'm I'm really honored to work with the two of them. Well, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, could you talk a little bit more about um, sort of how how invisible? Um, let's see. Uh, unpacks the differences between the ways non-sighted and sighted people experience and imagine a performance mm -hmm. or the world. Uh, because I was also looking at um, this. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the person's name. Alva Noe. Uh, I've known, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh no, no, no. Gerald, Gerald uh, Perner, uh, who is a um, yeah. photographer and uh, art critic and essayist and artist, and who's also blind, talked about sort of how um, the performance um, with your company. Um, the the um, the critic says that the room starts in my head. Um, uh -huh. And uh, then starts in the in the person's body, and then uh, the uh, partner writes, "I become the room. I don't recognize it, and I don't perceive it. I just become the room itself. Became the flesh between the pictures and the room." I'm like, "Wow, what an interesting I um, love. Yeah. reflection on on 
on the piece and on the work and I'm like, okay, so how do how do you facilitate that? <laughs> you know, choreographers, you know, um, you know, in the studio presence, sure. how do you do that? Well, one of the things, one of the really basic things that we did was uh, we worked a lot in the dark, and we also mm. worked. Our composer Sam Hurt um, is a, a, a experimental composer who actually is a graduate of the master's program at Mills College in Oakland, um, and mm-hmm. Sam had us do a lot of of what what of deep what what are called deep listening exercises from. Um, an amazing artist, Pauline Oliveros. We did a lot of her sort of exercises around just listening to the room and as as the dancers began to dance, thinking about how the the dance, the sounds that their dance was making as much as what it might look like. And because we were in the dark, what it might look like um, was kind of irrelevant in a certain way. So um, I think there's that element of it. And it's been, um, and then the the audience is really literally in the room with us. That you have a, a number of choices. Um, you can either sit around the edges when you come, like the risers at Counterpulse, we've blocked off, and so everyone is on the stage. And then there are there's a row, a circle of chairs in the middle facing out. So those people are literally right in the middle of the dance. And then there are a variety of other places sort of on the diagonals and throughout the space where you can sit and the dancers literally, you know, rush past you or uh, are dancing around you. Gabriel has this amazing <laughs> moment in one of the large sections where he just, he, they, uh, Gabriel runs around and says, says, I'm orbiting, I'm orbiting. And, um, and his orbits each of the, the sort of, positions in the room and you feel Gabriel, you know, brushing past you and, and, um, and really in a kind of ecstatic state that's really transcends in a different way. So I think um, what Gerald talks about is, is this mobilization of hearing and feeling the room sort of locates mm-hmm. it in a different way. Whereas when we're used to just looking at things across the room, they're distant, they're farther away, they're other than us. And in, I think when we, we take away vision, so yeah, in this piece, about 20 minutes of the piece in total is, is in the dark um, and, and very low lighting. So you, it, we hope to bring your attention to your, your other senses um, other than vision so you really get to feel your own body in the middle of it and feel part of it. Mm, wow, that sounds really, really fascinating. Um, and then there are um, pre-show touch tours for every show. Yeah. Um, as well as ASL interpretation um, uh, for, I guess, um, uh, deaf, and it says D four slash deaf audiences. Yeah, yeah. Um what is the pre-show touch tour? Does one of you want to explain our pre-show touch tours? Gabe or Jeff Sherwood? Uh, well, uh, from my experience of it, it's been a uh, we have these we have these elements of the set that are maybe hard to explain when the audio describer is talking about the show when it's happening. So before the show. We'll invite visually impaired audiences or folks who maybe are curious about the 
um, the usage of this sort of um, new technique in uh, making things visible for folks um, to come early and they can they can feel the props of the set, get a sense of the room, and also talk to all the performers beforehand who will describe themselves um, kind of from top to bottom, what they're wearing, what kind of sounds their shoes make, and that way during the show when um, they're being described, it won't be as much of a jump to, to imagine where they might be, who they might be, what they might look like, um, what the room might look like. So it's sort of like a it's like a pre a preamble uh, kind of thing for those who maybe we also, will have a harder time uh, gathering those things. We also, um, in that, usually in the touch doors, we also hone in and zoom into a specific moment in the piece that will be performed and really try to break it down in a way to be able to allow um, those who are taking the touch tour to to feel the contours of uh, our, our physical positions, um, to be able to describe what happened so that they, they can get um, some insights that uh, they, you, w- you wouldn't necessarily get just by coming to the performance. Hmm. Wow, that's really, really, really nice. Um, so um, I was wondering, uh, Gabriel and, and Sherwood, if you could talk about if, I don't know, if your primary um, – uh, sense is visual um, or not, mm. but I was wondering, sort of shifting from um, sort of the way that you operate, you know, as a, a sensory being, to be able to um, uh, to be able to, I guess, envision and create work that has a strong other sense. That one, you know, maybe that you weren't as strong and in, you know, then, but probably now you are because you've been working on this. I think you said for a year or two. Well, it's been a cha- It's been um, it's been quite a rich challenge for me. Like I, I feel like mm-hmm. even though we we have we had started research a couple of years back, it's it's something that every day I'm having to come into the space and try to find something new and also to. And really, to, to say that this is also something that Jess really encourages uh, for us is that this is not just some sort of written piece with everything kind of set, um, uh, set and choreographed to the T. And there's a real commitment in this, is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Jess, but I feel like there's a re- also a real, a real dedicated commitment to the higher art of improvisation, which is also an additional mm-hmm. challenge, which really allows us pushes us towards being very present in the moment, which then, to go back to your question, Wanda, really demands us to have to touch base with what we're feeling, what we're sensing, and what we're perceiving. And so, for me, even though we have four more performances this week, Thursday through Sunday, uh, night, having to come into sort of an arena of senses in order to, to navigate it as a performer, and also, in many ways, in respect to who is there in the space, the the chemistry or the frequency of of the public who's there, that constellation of people. Mm-hmm. Ah, wow. Yeah. So um, each night is, is, I mean, there is the scaffolding, but there's room for change so that um, the audience participates in the creation of the work that, um, they're perceiving? To some degree. I mean, I, I think I would I, pers- I would maybe describe it. It's a little more sturdy than just scaffolding. Um, okay. So that I, we, have, we have 
we call them scores, um, sort of like mm-hmm. a musical mm-hmm. score. So um, mm-hmm. the each section, um, I would say, if, if you come more than once, which now several people have come multiple times, um, mm-hmm. each section sort of looks the same, but the exact um, actions or things, the, the the specific actions or things that a, a dancer might do or say in any given moment are are open because we are working, as Sherwood said, very much with what are you perceiving right now? One of the first scores, the dancers are all lying on the floor in the dark and their score is to pick one of the sensations in their body and just tell the audience, like, I'm feeling pressure against the floor or I'm Mm -hmm. beginning to see a shimmer of light on the golden curtain or... Um, and so every night to be really true to that process and really reflect something um, that is actually happening in their body at every moment is, is what we try to do. So there's still a structure to that, you know, because they're all lying on the floor. Pretty much every night somebody will say, I'm feeling pressure against the floor. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but it's really open. It's really open to to um, them really being in that. And then we have what we call, um, we've, we've made up a new word we call grammaturgy. So it's kind of mixing the word dramaturgy with grammar. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, one of the tools we use in this sort of collision of using language to describe movement is that each, um, throughout the piece, different scores have different grammatical structures. So in that opening, in that opening phase, people speak um, in the first person um, first person present and say I am walking across the room I am jumping I am running around whatever they're doing they speak about themselves and then there's a really beautiful duet later in the piece where um, on uh, where Gabriel and and one of the German performers Xenia speak to each other and and they describe what the other person is doing so they'll speak in the second person and say, you are, you are holding a microphone, you are smiling at me, you are feeling embarrassed. Um, and so using those kind of structures uh, are, are kind of the, the core of how we keep a balance of having the piece be consistent each night and, uh, and also be alive in every moment every night, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so Invisible is uh, created and performed by an international cast of six blind, visually impaired, and sighted body-based dancers and performers. So, um, uh, Sherwood and, and Gabriel, how how has it been? Um, or maybe maybe this was not something that you hadn't um, experienced before. But working with with artists that um, have different sensorial abilities, um, like for instance, I believe if a person is 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 visually impaired or blind, that they probably have heightened um, abilities in other areas. So I was just wondering, um, sort of how how that's worked out insofar as creating the work that you all have that you're presenting presently. Um, it's been it's been really oh, go ahead. Okay, sorry. It's been really um, actually funny because one of the things that I definitely have noticed with um, one of the performers named Tiffany, who we've worked with for two years now, 
Uh, she makes a joke about mm-hmm. that um, that Thai people don't really listen that well. Uh, so even when we're like getting <laughs> notes from Jess or we're talking amongst ourselves, um, she'll have all the information like usually like like minutes before any of the rest of us have it because we've all been sort of talking over each other and not quite tuned into our listening sense. And she's definitely mm. recording everything in her auditory space. So she has like the instructions down. She knows when things are happening. She knows all these things are um, are kind of. Uh, are clear to her from a, from that space, and so I've been constantly aware of how much I'm uh, still still very much privileging my visual uh, information in, in terms of gags, jokes, notes, all these things. It definitely comes up in the rehearsal process. Um, but apart from that, I think it's been really um, gorgeous. I mean, not just working with folks who are blind and visually impaired, but also working with folks who are German. Um, it's been also a new thing for me and working people with different language abilities. Uh, we went to Germany, mm-hmm. and the the piece actually was a little, was actually performed more in German there than it is here in the Bay. So uh, mm-hmm. also having the sort of um, disparaging of my language as well, as well as my ability was sort of a uh, new thing for me, and also working abroad was a new thing for me. So personally, it was a lot of uh, steps towards um, trying to understand what it is to be a performer internationally and also through different types of bodies. So I, I did appreciate that. Um, a lot personally, but sure, we can go ahead and, and add. No, I just that. wanted to add, and also it was a little bit reflecting upon, Wanda, your your uh, previous question, what my experience was as a performer and working with uh, a cast of, of, of people, of just people who see in different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. I, as a sighted performer, am actually a representative of a dominant culture, and I think that in working with these performers, it has been incredibly humbling and opening for me to be able to recognize how light dependent as as a term that we've kind of discussed in 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 our, in our process light dependent I am and that actually is a, a great handicap that actually has pushed me to try to um, ask bigger bigger questions of what it means to to as a performer to perform and in, in, in what way are we sharing um, and so this project really has set that up so that those kind of standards which are so revolving around the kind of dominant visual culture um, are really put into question and to be able to work with these performers um, who are so skilled at being able to uh, um, is is wonderful I mean these moments in the dark that we were you know trying to train in the dark um, (laughs) there's there's the the cast who is much more light dependent ends up um, whoa whoa you know feeling so disoriented meanwhile um, Tiffany Taylor who who, um, Gabriel mentioned is like what it's the same, you know. It, uh, she has uh, full command and competency in the space, and and uh, that's really a great thing to to see and learn. And it's it's a challenge um, as somebody who's representing a dominant culture. Uh, it takes so long to be able to undo those kind of um, um, conditions. Mhm. Yeah. 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 When I when I think about. Um uh you know being being light dependent um and and i i see how well you know people that are not light dependent function um <laughs> you know uh outside of that particular paradigm there there's a fear um and there's also a trust i mean there if there was trust then there wouldn't be the fear but because um you know when when you're in different spaces like trying to cross the street or in the public and you know there's a lot going on and you have to move in the space and you want to be safe it's like ah so i'm really happy that i can open my eyes and and and, you know navigate myself across these different 
you know, spaces. But I just wonder about, you know, as 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 choreographers and dancers, you know, the whole idea of trust and fear and, and where where does that go? <laughs> um, when you are um you know, put into situations or you put yourself in a situation where um, there's a need to lean on somebody else, somebody else's strength even. Yeah, I think one of the things we're uh, we're learning or we have learned and we continue to work on is also also not projecting um, onto people with visual impairment. Um, One of our collaborators, Georgina Klieg, who is a blind author um, who uh, teaches at, at, at Cal at, at UC Berkeley, has a great mm-hmm. book called um, More Than Meets the Eye, What Blindness Brings to Art. And she has a great mm-hmm. chapter in that book just talking about all the ways that we use blind people as metaphors for either being ignorant or being mm. um, being the needing our sympathy or needing our our help and she's quite um, adamant about you know there there are lots of uh, very autonomous blind people that that um, that really get along in the world and as mm-hmm. with many kinds of disability it really comes down to what are the structures that we as a society create that get in people's way or that are, you know, sight dependent um, or light dependent, as Sherwood calls it, um, that, that are, what are ways that we, yeah, that, that we've constructed um, situations that, that, that rely on sight. So I think it's really um, been super interesting to just sort of get some of those out of the way and, and develop different practices. So like when we're sitting in a room noticing how, how often we'll just say, you know, oh, over there and point our, point our head or our gaze toward <laughs> something and expect mm-hmm. everyone in the room to know what we're talking about. And it's been re- – that's a really, a really um, pernicious habit to try to get over and remember to say over to my left in the, you know, in the back corner of the room um, or even just in a, talking about talking to someone in a room instead of just saying you when there are five people in the room and, and knowing how, how. So little habits like that that are, that are interesting mm-hmm. to notice and go, oh, okay, that's, um, that's something. And then, and then I think there's something I really I find um, sort of these situations also like that Sherwood and Gabriel were describing about just noticing attend, people's attention that, that – it's it's a bit of a myth that um, blind folks have actually heightened sense abilities in other directions. It's really just that they they in general folks that aren't relying on sight have have more of their attention in into in listening, and so it's not mm-hmm. it's actually something we can learn from them um, from our collaborators. Is like yeah, just you, you listen more. And 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 it's not it's not a super it's not you know daredevil super ability it's just <laughs> mm-hmm. paying attention to what you hear more than you know as much as what you see so that's been super interesting. Mhm. Right. Right. Yeah. And I just also think about people that are um, deaf or um, mm-hmm. that uh, speak ASL. Um, how you know I have friends that 
that speak ASL, but they also read lips for those of us who are not yeah. fluent in their language. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I can't, I gotta, I've got to face the person, right? Right, <laughs> you can't, exactly. You can't talk behind yeah. their head. And so, you know, you're talking yeah. about, you know, different orientations. Right, yeah, oh, of course, yeah, we, we know that, or if we think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, these are not super people. They just, you know, sort of honed in on other aspects of their sensory um, tools that, like you yeah. said, we, we could do, but, you know, the default <clears throat> is visual when you can. <laughs> You know, yeah, so. and I think it's important mm-hmm. that we create mixed space because all it takes is spending a little bit of time with somebody who's different than you to mm-hmm. notice and go, oh, right, okay, I need to pay attention to that. And now for me, I often walk into performances or things and I notice, I notice like, oh, this is not accessible and why the, with some really simple choices, somebody could make it a more accessible space. So I think the more the more mixed um, we have, the more accessible spaces are, then the, the wider range of people that can access them, and the more we all become familiar with with more diversity and, and can support more diversity. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I don't want to keep you all because I know, Sherwood, you have somewhere to go, but wondering, closing, um, maybe you might want to talk about who you'd like to see in the audience, um, who you haven't seen yet in the audience. And then, Jess, I wanted you to talk about the Lighthouse for the Blind and the uh, the Center for Cultural Innovation. But I know the uh, Lighthouse for the Blind, they, they're a really wonderful um, organization. A friend of mine um, is a part of it. So anyway, I want you to be able to talk about that too. Cool. But go so who would you Sherwood like to see? Gabe. Um, I don't know. Apart from just folks who are in the deaf community, I guess I really wouldn't mind seeing uh, more folks from the neighborhood come see the show, um, and mm-hmm. also um, folks who maybe uh, have less experience with dance. I think we'll get a really holy experience from this kind of uh, work because it really is giving them so much more, so much more sensation than they would get from watching a ballet. So that's my my first uh, my first understanding of who I would love to see there in the space with us. Yeah, Sherwood, do you have any particular audiences here you wish would be there? Uh, well, I agree with Gabe, and I also think that this is the kind of piece that both uh, traditional dance and theater audiences would uh, come out feeling really stimulated by because it really challenges uh, the, the existing notions of what a performance is in terms of its visual, typical visual orientation. But also I think that um, anybody who has a body who, who actually can is, is would, would, would be able to get a lot out of the material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I mean, I'm just as, as a producer <laughs> of, this, of this piece, too, I'm like, I want everyone to come. I think it's an amazing show for everybody, um, regardless of whether you have, I think there are different things in it for different people. It's really fun and really funny. Um, mm-hmm. the, and um, the performers are amazing, and the set and costumes are beautiful, and the the music <clears throat> that Sam has made that underpins um, all of this talking that we've talked about is really beautiful. So it's it's a it's 
it's it's a smart show, but it's also really entertaining and and engaging. And um, so I hope anyone. It's a great date night. I've been telling some of my friends that you get to you can sit in the dark and hold your hand the hold hold the hand of your date. Um, and Although it's really fun. You also run the risk that some, one of the performers may hold your hand as well. <laughs> yes, that that is oh, okay. possible. Or sit on your lap. If you sit in certain chairs and have consent and that, that where you've opted into being in contact with the performers, one of them may sit on sit on your lap or give you a head massage at some point during the piece. Audience members always we reserve they reserve we reserve the right that the audience members always have the right to say no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, so, would you say that this would be great for um, all ages? Like parents could bring their children. Absolutely. And uh, the one thing is that there, there's uh, a cup, one extended period of of absolute darkness. Um, mm-hmm. That we had in Berlin, a, a colleague of ours tried, tried the experiment of bringing his one year old, um, and mm-hmm. who made it five minutes through the darkness and then sort of got a little upset and and they had to leave but but it's really um yeah it's really fun and visual and ironically it's also it is a very visual piece but um and swirling around and it's a really fun piece and accessible i think to a whole age range um there have been a number of kids that have come and and seen it and uh, and enjoyed it. And it's about an hour long. It's, it's an hour.